the Mid American Bandwagon Podcast. We are at episode seven, almost uh, basically two months into this podcast. I'm your host, Sam Thoman. Join with me, Zach Foley, as usual, the dynamic duo, as I like to call us. Zach, how are, you, how are you doing on this fine day? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. It's, uh, you know, it feels weird here. We're getting towards the end of August and, and we don't have any MAC football games to look forward to. It's, you know, kind of weird. We still got the ACC and Big 12 and the SEC chugging along. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, these next couple weeks if, if that all holds up. But nonetheless, uh, it's a great day to be alive. Great day to talk about some action. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, if you didn't know today, I moved into my dorm room, so I'm excited for that. It's unfortunate, like you said, we don't have um, Max Sports Fall 2020 sports. As everybody knows, it's canceled. I'm trying to figure out what team I should root for from like the teams that are playing. So I got to figure something out because if I'm a fan of a team, I'm going to be more invested. And in I don't know if that's the same way with you, Zach. You know what? Um, I, I made the decision the other day that uh... – I'm just going to be rooting for the teams on any given Saturday. I'm going to be rooting for the teams that I bet my money on this year. So that's going to be my, that's going to be my approach. So I think my, my rooting interests are going to change a little bit week to week. I mean, I mean, if you have money on it, like you got, you got to, there's no other way. That's what um, I'm saying. I've, I've been, uh, you know, it's, it's been a good couple of days here with the NBA playoffs. So trying to, uh, you know, build that bankroll up a little bit for football season. We'll see how that goes. But speaking of MAC, we've, we've got some a little bit of recruiting news to touch on. We've got a few MAC schools that made some moves recently, including my Ball State Cardinals picked up two commits. Zach, would you like to break those down? Yeah, definitely. So we've had a couple uh, MAC schools here making some moves over the last few weeks as far as recruiting goes. Um, Northern Illinois has actually had a great month of August so far in recruiting. It doesn't appear that the fall uh, season being canceled has affected them at all. They've picked up three commits here in the month of August. Um, Two of them really notable. Um, They picked up a three-star running back actually from Texas uh, named Akinimo Asukwo. Um, not a lot of dudes from Texas coming up to the Mac to play, but, um, they were able to go down to the Lone Star State and, and pick up a commit there. Um, he had offers, his, his other offers were mainly FCS. He had Abilene Christian, Columbia, Cornell, Georgetown. I mean, if you got, got offers from Columbia, Cornell and Georgetown, I'd like to think you got a pretty good head on your shoulder. So seems like they got a good pick up there. They also picked up another three-star running back from Nebraska, uh, by the name of Makai Nelson Douglas. He had offers from uh, Army, Colorado State, and North Dakota State, who everyone knows NDSU, the Bison, probably the best program in the FCS. So um, two, two solid pickups for the Huskies there. Again, it doesn't seem like the, uh, the season being canceled has affected them on the recruiting trail. Coach Thomas Hammock uh, had a little bit of a disappointing year last year, going five and seven in his first year. I know the Huskies want to get back to bowl eligibility as soon as possible. And it looks like, uh, you know, the, the work they're doing on the recruiting trail is, is pointing in that direction. So I was impressed. I don't know what you thought about those recruits there, Sam, but I was pretty impressed by both of those pickups for Northern Illinois. I think it's solid. I think it's it's been an unusual recruiting cycle for 2021. It seems like I've been paying attention to a lot of uh, Ball State recruiting, and it seems like we've got a few commits from outside places like Khalil Kelly from Florida. We've got the uh, Makai Nelson Douglas from Nebraska. We've got a three-star from Texas. So it seems like Mac schools are starting to kind of branch out, go to states that they don't really have a pipeline in. So Maybe we could see some um, Mac schools get competitive in states that we really don't see in the, uh, that we haven't seen in the past. Yeah, definitely. And and you know, you mentioned Ball State. They they picked up a nice uh, a nice uh, cornerback recruit, a three star 
uh, Thailand Baldwin out of Virginia. So another guy, he's down there from the, the, the Hampton Roads area down near Virginia Beach. Um, that's a, an area that is a, a great recruiting ground. I know a lot of ACC schools go down into that area and pick up solid players. So the fact that Ball State was able to go down there to get a corner from the area, um, he had offers from East Carolina and Liberty and Army, as, and, as well as some other mid-majors as well. So I think that was a really solid get for, for uh, Mike New and his staff there. They also the other day picked up um, a, uh, an unrated recruit from Ohio, wide receiver Nick Presley. Even though he didn't have any stars attached to his name, he did also have offers from Central and Eastern Michigan. So I think anytime you can beat out some of your fellow conference mates for a recruit like that, it's, it bodes well. I think uh, Mike New, we've talked a lot about him, Sam, and I know how you feel about him. We feel like it's really time for him to produce here and, and get some wins and, and get Ball State to a bowl game. I think he's doing really well on the recruiting trail this year, and I hope that the momentum from that recruiting, the, the recruiting successes he's having right now can translate onto the field next season or, or whenever it is that Ball State's able to get back on the field. Yeah, no doubt. I've been loving what he's been doing for 2021. In the past few years, he's been a, lack, a little bit lackluster on the recruiting trail, but 2021, he's been picking up, got two solid three stars, the quarterback and running back duo. He's picking up a wide receiver to get the guy to throw to. He's picking up a guy on the defensive end to potentially replace Antonio Phillips and um, Ameki Uzuduma when they leave. So it's looking good for the state of the Ball State program. We'll have to see how they can develop the talent because – Right now, I'm really excited, but right now, I'm just hoping for some Mac football back, and we just got to wait and see on yeah. that end. And with yeah. that, we've, we've got a little bit of Mac, like, rumor news, I would say, kind of. Uh, Zach, would you like to break that down as well? Yeah, so um, Pete Thamel on, on Twitter from, uh, from I want to say Pete's from Sports Illustrated, if I'm not mistaken. Um, let me look him up and just make sure I get that right. I'm sorry, Yahoo Sports, not Sports Illustrated. Um, so he, he tweeted the other day that the, the MAC subcommittee for football had their first meeting on Sunday night to discuss uh, potential plans for a spring season. Um, it looks like they debated between doing six games or eight games. And they also debated kind of like the calendar of the season, when they wanted to start and when they wanted to end. As far as the calendar goes, it looks like the three options they looked at were either January to March, February to April, or, or March to May. They also discussed uh, linking up with the Mountain West for potential postseason opportunities for their teams. As, as everyone here knows, um, the Mountain West also postponed their fall season a couple weeks ago, right after the MAC did. So, Sam, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because – I, I keep going back and forth in my mind as far as, you know, the six games versus eight games mm-hmm. and, you know, when to play the schedule. My initial inclination when I first saw this tweet come out last night was it would be cool if they could play eight games and make it as close to a normal season as mm-hmm. possible. However, the, you know, the more I think about it, you know, when the Mac came out, they, they said that this is all about player safety and stuff like that. And if they're really going to truly say that it's about player safety, I would think that what would make the most sense would be to play a six-game season and do it from January to March, start it as early as possible. I know that's going to mean a lot of games and bad weather where, you know, a lot of these schools are, are located. However, I think if you start in January and play six games and end in early March and then maybe do a postseason type of thing with the Mountain West, that gives you a solid probably four months of off of downtime before players are able to come back into training camp for a potential fall 2021 
season. So if the Mac is going to, you know, stick by that edict that this really was about health and safety of the players, I feel like that makes the most sense. Although I'm not going to lie, you know, the, the more Mac football we get to watch, the, the happier I'll be. So if they went with eight games, I wouldn't be opposed to that either. I just feel like if they're going to continue this, this kind of talking, these talking points of, you know, making it about health and safety, I feel like that would make me think they're going to tend to lean toward more towards the six game season and starting it a little bit earlier in the spring. And this is only rumors, but Zach, what, what the mountain West playoff discussion reminds me of, it may be potential talks of a group of five playoff. When you think about it, group of five doesn't get really any love. Like when you think of UCF complaining about how they didn't get their national championship attempt, like this makes total sense. When you think about it, they, that that's what it comes to mind when you're talking about meeting with other conferences for postseason on the games. I'm going to be Frank. I, I see it. If we're going to have a season, it's going to be six because when you look at the wear and tear on the, on their athletes and let's say uh, they get drafted and they have to go to a March to May schedule, yeah. like that's going to be ridiculous. You have a March to May turnaround, you go into NFL training camps and in September, you're into NFL action. That just seems like a lot for players to handle, like in a short time span. That's where I see happening. Six games is the max. I mm-hmm. like, and I would I would say it would have to be January to March or February to April to give the players enough time to rest in between seasons. I, I definitely agree with you there, Sam. And that's actually a great point that you just made about you know moving towards kind of like a potential group of five playoff type of structure. I think. I don't know how likely this is, but you know, you, you've heard people in the media talk about this in the past of how eventually they, they feel like the power five and the group of five might split off and become their own separate things. Kind of how the FBS and the FCS are separate. Now, if the, if the group of five opted to do that and, you know, have their own playoff system and have their own, you know, top 25 rankings and, and their own, um, you know, bowl structure or, or whatever, whatever the case may be, this might be like a great first step to that. You know, if the Mac and the Mountain West are able to do some type of thing where, you know, they pair up teams based on records at the end of the year and each get to play a game and do some type of, you know, bracket or whatever it is it ends up being. I don't know how likely it is, but I do think if they would have success with a format like that, you could see that as maybe being the first step towards like the FBS and the FCS eventually splitting off and becoming their own things. That would be really interesting because on the flip side of it too, you hear a lot of FBS teams and power five teams say how they want to play more power five teams that would, you know, that, you know, that kind of split would facilitate that as well. So it would be really interesting to see how that would go if the Mountain West and the MAC do have success there. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you completely. And again, this is just a subcommitting meeting, throwing out proposals. So nothing's finalized yet. So if you don't like the Mountain West uh, postseason idea, they haven't said anything. If you don't think there, there should be a spring game, again, this is all just uh, proposals and whatnot, just early planning for what's ahead because I don't think they have a clue of what they want to do right now. I don't know, Zach, what, like, how, how do you see this kind of moving forward in a sense? Do you, do you think that the Mac has a plan in place and they're just not telling us, or is it just like, we, we have no clue. We're just playing it by ear. Yeah. I I still, I, I find it hard to believe that they have any type of plan in place right now. I think if they would have had a plan in place, we would know by it, about it by this point. I do think, though, that they're starting to realize, you know, I, I think 
with the past six months, everyone was kind of like wait in wait and see mode and nobody was really being proactive because nobody really knew what was going to go on with, you know, with the pandemic and, and all these things. But now that some of these decisions have been made and it is clear that there's not going to be football in the fall and they need to figure out, you know, whether or not they're going to play in the spring. I do think there's a little bit more of a sense of urgency now. So I do think that, um, you know, we're, we're, we'll probably hear of what these plans are going to be sooner rather than later. Hopefully we get some more good uh, updates from people like Pete Thamel that are kind of connected and will, you know, hopefully be updated throughout the process. But I do think it's, it's going to be sooner rather than later before, um, you know, we make any or before, you know, before we hear anything. Um, only because, you know, I feel like there's so many logistics that are involved and so many important decisions that have to be made in between now and January that the sooner they make those plans, the easier it's going to be for everybody. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think they have a plan in place because, like you said, we would have heard it by now. But what this kind of makes me think is we're worried about spring 21 and football season, but winter sports is just right around the corner. They haven't mm-hmm. – the MAC has not come out and said anything publicly about – the availability of winter sports, whether they're postponing, canceling, or going on with it. So, Zach, do you think we will have a winter sports season, or will it be canceled, postponed? How do you see the 2020 MAC winter sports going? I think if I – if I'm being honest, I think what's going to end up happening happening with basketball and the other winter sports – I think a lot of conferences are going to end up doing something like what the Ivy league did, which is they're going to postpone all sports until January 1st and then do some type of conference only. So I wouldn't be surprised if for college basketball this year, we had all conference only uh, seasons with, you know, conferences starting their season sometime, you know, early to mid January. I find it very unlikely that you're going to see any of the college basketball, like preseason form, you know, preseason NIT or Maui invitational or, um, you know, those types of events in November and sometimes around Thanksgiving. I, I don't know how likely those things are. I think if I had to guess, we're going to see things get pushed back until January. Again, that's not based on any, any you know, reports I've seen or any facts. That's just kind of a hunch I have based on the way things have gone so far. I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on them. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's just simple for the fact that they haven't said anything. They don't have a plan in place. If they had a plan in place, yeah, I would be more confident than playing. But they haven't, they've basically said uh, nothing, crap, crap all. Like when we're so focused on the fall and like, because football means a lot to most people and it's a big revenue generate, but we're just overlooking the winter sports. And then uh, what winter sports is what, two months away? Yeah, barely, not even. I mean, I know college basketball practice, most teams are starting practice end of September, early October. I mean, so yeah, we're, we're two months away at the most. So um, some, t- some decisions are definitely going to have to be made. And man, I tell you what, if, if we end up missing another NCAA tournament because of this, I don't know what I'm going to do because I don't know about you, Sam, but for me, the NCAA tournament is one of my favorite sporting events of the year. I mean, those first two days of the NCAA tournament where you got basketball games on all day from noon until midnight, there, it's, there's nothing better than that. And if we're going to miss that for two years in a row, man, I'm, I'm going to be like, I'm going to have some sports depression for sure. Oh, oh, I'm there with you. This would, the last year would have been my first year to not been in a high school. So I could have just sat in my dorm room, watched some nice hoops. Uh, I remember watching the Buffalo game upset versus Arizona. That was so much fun to watch where we, we missed on so many upsets last year. May, hopefully it's not going to be the same this year where we have to cancel it. But it's not looking good. Like, I'm going to be frank. I'm going to be honest. It's not looking good for winter sports. Nobody has said anything about it. We're all worried about football and fall sports right now. 
which yeah. already got postponed, and we don't have a plan in place for winter sports. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. It's it's not encouraging for sure. And I think uh, you know we talked a little bit last time about how you know how little uh, leadership and direction that the NCAA has given um, their conferences to this point. Quite frankly, I don't see that changing anytime soon. So I wouldn't be surprised if it comes down to a bunch of last minute decisions once again, which is not ideal, but I, I don't see the NCAA learning anything from their mistakes. I just don't have much confidence in them as an organization right now. So yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I'm knocking on wood here. I'm hoping that college basketball isn't affected. We still have some time to, to, to figure that out, but you know, we were saying that in June about football and, and nothing really got done. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and I think that's going to wrap it up for this segment. Do you have any final thoughts, uh, Zach, you want to inform the people? No, I don't. I'm just really curious to see what the MAC ends up doing in terms of spring football. I'm really excited to hear what their plans are, and, and I'd love to see some type of you know uh, tie-in with the Mountain West here to get some interesting matchups, which I know we wanted to talk a little bit more about. I'm, I'm curious to see um, how that would go and what that would look like. I always like seeing interesting non-conference games, so I, I'd love it if the MAC and the Mountain West were able to do something like that. Oh, I, I agree. I think it's a it's a pretty good collaboration. And we've got another collaboration to, to talk about. Homefield Apparel, the premier direct-to-consumer clothing for college sports fans in Hustlebelt, have partnered for an exclusive line of t-shirts. Pick up your Tuesday night or Jolly Blogger shirt on homefieldapparel.com now. And you can save 20% off your entire first purchase using promo code HUSTLE. Every shirt you buy helps us out of the blog, and you'll feel good too. Thanks to Homefield's exclusive 52% cotton, 48% polyester blend. Rep the best little blog in the Midwest today by going to homefieldapparel.com and using promo code HUSTLE. Now, uh, we, me and Zach decided to have a little bit of fun with the collaboration between the uh, Mac and uh, Midwest Conference potential collaboration. So we each decided to pick one potential matchup that we would like to see between the two conferences. Zach, I'll let you start off first with yours. Yeah, sure. I think a really interesting matchup that I'd love to see if, you know, if Buffalo area, I'm sorry, if, if the Mac and the Mountain West are able to pair up and get something done in terms of scheduling here in the spring, I'd love to see uh, Buffalo and Boise State uh, pair up. I'd love to see the, the Bison go out, or I'm sorry, the Bison, the Bulls go out to uh, to Boise and play the, the Broncos on the blue turf there. Everyone knows about the blue turf out in Boise. I think Boise State is is unquestionably the premier program in the Mountain West. I don't think anyone would doubt that. And I think also if you're talking about just pure talent, I think Buffalo right now really is kind of the class of the Mac. They don't have, um, you know, they might not have quite the history that Boise State does, but they certainly have the talent on their roster right now, I think, to compete with the Broncos. You look at, you know, someone, you got two running backs in the backfield for the, the for the Bulls that are going to definitely give Boise State problems. You got Jared Patterson and Kevin Marks, both of them over a thousand yards last year for the Bulls. I think if Kyle Van Treese could, could, you know, um, progress a little bit and, and give them a little bit more on offense that they, than they got from him last year in the passing game, I think that balanced attack that Buffalo has could really go into Boise State. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them win that game. Um, you know, you look at Boise State is a great team, but they're not necessarily known for their defense. They're more of an offensively oriented program. So I could see Buffalo going in and picking up a signature victory there in Boise. I'd love to see a lot of MAC teams take on Boise State just to see how we how we stack up. But I went with Buffalo here in this one just because I think they're the team in the MAC right now that has the most talent that would give the Broncos the best game. Yeah, I agree. I love watching Buffalo on that blue turf all the way back to the Kellen Moore days of the 
uh, Statue of Liberty play that he did back a yeah. long time ago. But I'm, I'm kind of surprised, Zach, that you didn't go with the one you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Ball State and San Diego State. That would be cool, too. I, I, I think that would definitely be a cool matchup, only be, you know, because of the Brady Hoke type of deal and, and the, the connection that he has between the, cool, the two programs. I also think it's cool um, that you know, he's, he's still kind of connected to Ball State, still gives back to Ball State, obviously still cares about his alma mater. So that would be a cool, cool matchup to see. I just feel like um, I, I felt you know Buffalo and Boise State more so. I went with that because really kind of like the top two team or the top team in each conference. I feel like it would be more, feel more of kind of like a playoff game or a postseason type of atmosphere. I'd love to see it. I think that would be a game that would get good ratings on TV if ESPN or someone else would pick that up. I think a lot of people would love to see that matchup. But you're right. I think Ball State San Diego State would be a good one too. Uh, but for mine, I, I like I just thought that because you mentioned earlier. But mine actually. Uh, is is has a little bit of history or not history? I'd say like familiarity. Uh, Colorado State and Ball State. If you don't know Joey Lynch, the son of Kevin Lynch, who is currently a coach at Ball State, I believe the offensive coordinator at mm-hmm. Ball State. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, uh, his son actually coaches at Colorado State. So uh, and another thing, Colorado State's not the best. So Ball State definitely has a good chance to win that matchup. A little bit of a rivalry with the kind of uh, son um, uh, father aspect to it. I just think it would be a fun uh, game all around. Yeah, it definitely was. And and anyone that's been following the Mac for a while remembers Joey Lynch from when he was a quarterback at Ball State uh, back in the early two thousands. Uh, he's still in the top ten uh, for career passing yards at Ball State. He's you know has over four thousand passing yards in his career. Was a really good quarterback for the Cardinals. Unfortunately, it was at a time period where um, he didn't have a ton of talent around him, and Ball State wasn't able to get to any bowl games or anything like that while he was there. But he was a great quarterback for Ball State that gave everyone in the MAC problems. And um, he was actually has been a coach was a coach at Ball State for quite some time as well. And I think, but if I'm not mistaken, Sam is this is going to be his first year at Colorado State. I think he. he I, I believe so. First. Second. Yeah, just recently joined the staff there. So that is a cool connection. And I would love to see uh, Ball State and Colorado State play. Um, I, I like always like it when when um, I always like it when mid-majors schedule other mid-majors in the non-conference games. That's why I would have loved to see Ball State play Wyoming this year. I would have loved to see Toledo play San Diego State this year. There is some precedent for the MAC and the Mountain West playing each other in the non-conference, just like those two games. So yes, I agree with you there, Sam. I think Ball State, Colorado State would have been a good, uh, you know, a, a good matchup. And quite honestly, I'm, I'm pretty confident that even if that game was out in Fort Collins and Ball State had to travel out there, I feel like Ball State would win that game this year. Colorado State traditionally probably a little bit of a stronger program than Ball State, but that's a program with some serious turmoil right now. You know, and Mike Bobo was their head coach the last couple of years. He got fired in the offseason, and then Steve Adazio comes in this year after he got fired at Boston College, and they've had a bunch of problems on their team this year, this offseason, a bunch of turmoil in the locker room where it doesn't seem like the players are really responding to Steve Adazio. So I think Ball State would have a really solid chance to win that game if they got that this year. I agree. And do you have any other matchups you would potentially like to see before we move on to the um, my, one of my favorite segments, the uh, Mac mascot bracket uh, recap? 
Yeah, the, the, on, the only other one I would say is that, um, you know, I, I know we talk about, you know, Kent State and Dustin Crum a lot. I just love watching him play, and I would love to see him uh, get to play again, against one of those other premier teams in the Mountain West, whether it be uh, whether it be like Hawaii or Fresno State. I actually, now that I say that, I think Kent State, Fresno State would be an awesome game to watch. Um, Fresno State, traditionally one of the better pro- programs in the Mountain West, you know, going all the way back, uh, even when, you know, when they were in the Western Athletic Conference years ago with Boise State, they've always been a great program. And I think Kent State this year with all the talent they have would be able to give the Bulldogs a good game. I'd love to see that one. I'd love to see Miami of Ohio playing against some of these teams. And, um, you know, with uh, with uh, Brett Gabbert uh, playing behind uh, behind center there, the freshman of the year last year, I think they could give some teams some progress, some problems. I think there'd be a lot of interesting matchups. I, I don't know what you think, though. Uh, yeah, I, anytime you get to watch Dustin Crum, I'm, I'm here for it. A matchup I think it would be kind of like uh, fun to watch, uh, in my opinion, would be uh, Akron versus New Mexico, the two lower dogs and two New Mexico State coming off a um, – or New, just New Mexico, my bad on that, coming off a two-win season, Akron coming off a zero-win season. Let, yeah. let, them, let them find it out for the toilet bowl. Why not? Yeah, a pillow fight to see who can get the first victory of the season. That's right. Yeah, that, that would be interesting. It would be, be nice to get, you know, give each of them an opportunity for a win, for sure. I agree. And now we're going to kind of recap our Mac mascot mania bracket. Yeah, this uh, we got – you guys really, really came out again this week for, for the Mac mascot bra- bracket. Mac mascot mania bracket. My God, that's a tongue twister. <laughs> yeah. say, that, say that five times fast. Um, we tell you what, though, guys, in our first round matchups last week, we had just under, correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, I think we had like just a little bit under 2,000 votes combined on the three matchups we had last week. This week, we more than doubled that. So we had four matchups this week and over 4,500 total votes. You guys really came out. That's awesome. We love it so much. This has been so great interacting with you guys on Twitter. We didn't realize how much passion the Mac fan base has had when it came to their mascots, but you guys have really shown us where, you know, what that is. So um, just to kind of break these down for you, our first matchup of the week, we had the the first seed victory bull from Buffalo. Uh, He had the bye last week. Um, Buster Bronco came in as the eight seed after winning and advancing last week. The, the poll we posted for that got 47 retweets from you guys. So thank you so much for you know broadcasting that out to, to your followers. Um, Victory Bull pulled out a tight one. It was really close right until the end. You know, I think a lot of people were, were pulling for, for Drunk Buster, but uh, Buffalo ended up pulling that out 52.8% to 47.2% for Buster. In the four versus five matchup, uh, so the winner of this one will advance to take on Victory Bull in this, our first semifinal. We had Rocky the Rocket from Toledo versus Charlie the Cardinal from Ball State. That one there, uh, Rocky the Rocket, it, it was close for, a, for most of the week, but Charlie Cardinal really pulled away here in the last couple of days, and the Ball State fans really turned out. Uh, Charlie Cardinal ended up winning that one 59.2% to 40.8% for Rocky the Rocket. Then uh, in our third uh, quarterfinal, we had the two seed, another uh, person who got a buy here. We had Zippy the Zip from Akron taking on Rufus Bobcat from Ohio. Rufus really, really had strong support last week. The Ohio fans did a great job. They did a great job again this week. This one here, this is another poll that got 51 retweets on this one. Incredible. We love it. Thank you so much, guys. But uh, Zippy the Zip from Akron just barely uh, edged out Rufus the Bobcat, 53.9% to 46.1% for Rufus. Uh, Rufus will always have a soft spot in my heart for for that picture that that was tweeted at us of when he was – 
punching Brutus the Buckeye in, in the face. But uh, unfortunately, Rufus is going to be going home here in the quarterfinals. And then in our, fi- our final quarterfinal, um, the winner of this one here advancing to take on Zippy in our second semifinal, we had Swoop the Red Hawk from Miami versus uh, Mission from Northern Illinois. The Northern Illinois fans, I tell you what, Sam, these folks are not messing around. Uh, the second week in a row, they win going away. 63.6% of the vote to Mission Husky uh, really blow and swoop the Red Hawk out of the water. That was the only one there that never really was close. I think these NIU fans were a little bit upset that uh, – he yeah, their mascot was an 11 seed in this bracket again we need to give the disclaimer these seedings were randomly generated but nonetheless uh northern illinois folks were not happy that uh mission was the lowest seed in this bracket and they've really they've really turned out to to prove that that was wrong so we got uh, a nice little cinderella story here the 11 seed mission advancing to the semifinals with 63.6 percent of the vote so our semifinals here this week which uh, are the, the polls here are going to open up on Friday, right as this episode gets posted. We're going to have Victory Bull from Buffalo versus Charlie Cardinal from Ball State. And then we're going to have Zippy the Zip from Akron versus Mission Husky from, uh, from Northern Illinois. Two strong semifinal matchups here, Sam. Oh, no doubt. Uh, where, where to start with this? This was a fun week. I'll tell you, Western Michigan was coming out strong out of the gates had a significant lead over Buffalo and Buffalo's fans just came out roaring towards the end of the week. They powered through to the uh, semifinals. Great shout out to them. Shout out to everyone who voted on that 47 retweets. Amazing job. Shout out to you guys, as Zach said, but I got to point out the one um, mascot that's, that's close to my heart. And that's Charlie Cardinal who pulled out the dub against Rocket Ryan's Toledo's mascot rocky the rocket he did a solid job winning by more than 19 percent or 18 percent of the vote so shout out to him he had a strong voting even if it is less voting than the um uh victory uh bull and bronco who had over like 1500 votes still a strong showing from them he got the dub i'm excited to see that matchup we've got akron pulling out the dub against rufus bobcat Really, that was a fun matchup as well. A lot of vo- votes, a lot of support. Rufus almost got it done. Zippy just edged him out in the end. And then finally, Mission Victory Husky. As again, as Zach said, disclaimer, randomly generated. I'm going to put that at the top of the bracket. <laughs> I'm tired of seeing it. We get it. He shouldn't be an 11 seed. We, we get it. But it was randomly generated. I didn't want to put any bias into it. I thought this was the most fair way to do it. And you're proving us wrong. You're proving us wrong. You're in the semifinals. All you got to do now is take down Zippy and then take down either Buffalo or Charlie Cardinal, and you'll be champions. I believe in I believe in mission and victory husky, honestly. Zach, how do you who do you see now that we know the semifinal of Victory Bull versus Charlie Cardinal? and Zippy versus Mission slash Victory Husky. Who do you see coming out at top? Man, I tell you what, even though uh, they were the 11 seed, I feel like Mission and Victory Husky from Northern Illinois have to be the favorite here in the semifinals. I mean, Northern Illinois fans are not messing around right now. Like you said, uh, they were not happy with the 11 seed. And to their credit, they have shown out and proven to us that should have been a higher seed. We get it. We understand that. So I think, you know, even though they're the 11 seed, I, I got to, you know, 
I got to give them the odds on favor here. I would be, I would be putting my money on, on mission Husky. If, if, uh, if there's, you know, money to be taken on this, I think Zippy also came out strong. I don't know. I mean, I, Charlie Cardinal had 59% of his vote as well. So that's a strong matchup there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if I, if I was going to make a prediction, I think I'm going to see, I'm going to say that next week at this time, when we're talking about our final matchup, I think I'm, what we're going to see is Charlie Cardinal versus mission Husky. Really? That's that, that's my guess. I, I mean, I feel really confident in saying that that mission's going to advance. I think uh, Victory Bull and Charlie Cardinal is a little bit more of a toss-up, but the Ball State fans really came out here at the end of the week, and I, I think Charlie Cardinal is going to advance. I'm going to have to disagree. I, I agree with you on the mission uh, slash victory Husky. Like, Northern Illinois fans are unreal. I think Zippy is just going to have too much on his hands, and Northern Illinois is going to roll. But Buffalo took down the – a uh, monster that is Buster Bronco. The I would consider one of the fan favorites, even though he is an eight seed. A lot of fan support. We had over fifteen hundred votes on that, and Buffalo got basically eight hundred votes to nine hundred votes. I'm not doing the math right now. And then Charlie Cardinal got like four hundred to five hundred votes mm. based on the voting. So. Based on that alone, I'm going to say Buffalo has a slight edge. I'm going to say Buffalo versus Northern Illinois with Buffalo getting the win. I know it's a one seed and the classic favorite, but in this, seeding doesn't matter, and I think that holds true. Yeah, you know what? I uh, Now that you break it down like that for me, Victory Bull and, and Charlie Cardinal, you know, I've, I've never been a math guy, so I guess I didn't think about it that way. But when you, when you put it that way, I think – you might be right there, but yeah, either way, you know what? I'm, I'm going to stick to my guns. I, I think Charlie Cardinal, I think the ball state fans are going to show out ball state fans. Don't, don't let me down here. Mm-hmm. Don't prove, you know, prove me right. Show me that you guys care about your mascot enough. I think um, I'm, I'm still going to stick to Charlie Cardinal, but, but I, I see what you're saying now that that point makes me feel like uh, you might be right. I don't know. It's going to be up to the ball state fans to see though. And we will have to see, I will be posting that Friday as usual. So show your support, show your love, because we need to find out who's the number one Mac mascot. And if your team reaches the final, we may have a special segment for you guys as well to kind of uh, show support for your favorite mascot. So make sure to get your t- mascot into the final round. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts, Zach, on this uh, recap? No, I, I, no final thoughts other than the fact that this has just been, this has been really, really fun. I didn't anticipate this much of a, of a uh, support whenever we started this a couple weekends ago. I've loved it so far. It's been a lot of fun to see all of the back and forth and all the passion from the fan bases on Twitter. Can't wait to see it again this week with the semifinal matchups. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I didn't think people cared about that their mascots like this. But, hey, shout out to you. Again, we appreciate your support. Like I tweeted out earlier, we do appreciate your support. We see your feedback. We see your retweets. I've, I think I've liked every single retweet so far. So keep showing your love. Keep showing out. And we'll, we'll keep uh, doing this because we love to do this. I don't know about you, Zach. This, this has been a really fun uh, two weeks so far. I agree with you. I agree with you. And it makes me think that once this mascot bracket ends, we're going to have to find, figure out some other type of brass bat, bracket type of stuff that we can do uh, here in the Mac to, to get fans to interact because the response here has been so awesome. Oh, we, we definitely can figure something out. I'm sure of it. I, if the fans want it, we will give it to them at the end of the day. So let us know what bracket are here. Here's the, here's another Twitter question. What bracket would you want to see next or what poll would you want to see next? Let us know on Twitter at Mac underscore bandwagon. 
follow us there if you haven't. We're up to 181 followers on there. Continue, increase the bandwagon. Yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for this uh, segment. We are going to move on to the uh, Mount Rushmore segment with a special guest uh, of a Ball State alumni. And before we move on to our Mount Rushmore segment, and after you vote on the poll and you have nothing to do, why not drink some beer? Looking for some suggestions for what to drink this weekend while watching sports or winding down the evening after a hard day of working from home? We're here to help with Belt's Beer Garden. Every week, our very own Dave Drury takes craft beer from around the country and breaks down the profiles like a true expert sommelier. Check out HustleBelt.com every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern for his latest recommendation or follow on Instagram at Belt's Beer Garden for 24-7 updates. Now we are going to move on to the Mount Rushmore segment with our special guest. Welcome back to the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. We've got another segment. We're back with the uh, Mount Rushmore Plus One segment, this time with Ball State. We're slowly rounding out the Mac West. And Zach, are, how excited are you for this? I'm pumped, man. It's uh, It's been fun to dive into the history of these programs and, and see uh, – uh, you know, learn a little bit about some of the history. So I'm excited to do the, the same with uh, with Ball State here. And like with the other uh, teams we've done so far, we have a special guest. Some would call us probably the best Max Sports um, collaboration podcast. <laughs> but we've got our uh, special guest, AJ Ruffing, who did who is an alumni of Ball State. AJ, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, guys. Thank you for having me on. We uh my, my co-host, actually, from the uh, Sports Connection podcast, we're both very excited about this. And, uh, you know, we love Mac, just like you guys. And we both have ties here to Ball State, so it's something that's near and dear to our hearts. And so I'm excited to get into it. Okay, so we're going to just jump straight into it because it is quite a, like, lengthy segment. So we're just going to uh, just jump straight into it with the first pick, as we always do. We let our guests go first. So, AJ, with the first pick, who are you going to go with? Look, my first pick's going to be obvious. I'm going Bonzi Wells. He's probably the mm. most well-known athlete to come out of Ball State. He was drafted in 98 by Portland. Uh, he was kind of a journeyman in the NBA. He played for Portland, Memphis, Sacramento, Houston, uh, New Orleans. Went over to China, played there for a little while. But while he was in the MAC, he was a two-time player of the year, 96-98. He was a steals leader in 98 in the NCAA, three-time first-team uh, first All-MAC from 96 to 98. And, of course, the ball state retired as number 42. I believe they did that a couple of years ago, maybe 2013, 2012, sometime at that point. Uh, I was able to meet him, actually. He still lives in Muncie, uh, ironically. And uh, I was able to meet him a few times in my days working in the athletic office. Super, super nice guy. Uh, it's kind of cool to pick his brain a little bit about old stories, you know, from you know, his Houston. Because he, he really shined in Houston. And so uh, it was great to kind of talk about his teammates who we played with back then, uh, kind of his journey. And you kind of will let him back to Muncie. And so uh, that with him, he's my first overall pick. Great pick. I think uh, I agree. I'm sure we all had him on our list. I remember watching him in the league uh, when I was younger. Uh, I mean, I mean, when you have a guy that's the all-time leading scorer, not just at the school, but in the conference itself. I mean, that's quite, quite an accomplishment there. 2,485 points all-time in his career. Surpassed uh, Ron Harper to, to get that um, record, who – Ron Harper also went on to have a nice long career in the NBA. Yeah, two-time MAC Player of the Year, 
all-time leading scorer in the conference and the all-time um, steals leader in the conference, 11 years in the NBA, averaged 21 points a game in, in uh, college and 12 points a game in the NBA, which 12 points a game in the league, that's nothing to sneeze at. So I agree with you, AJ. I think that's a, a great first pick. I'm sure we all had him on our list. You can't go wrong with Barnes. Sure. That first and overall. one thing I missed there too, he was a first round 11th overall. Yeah. So yeah. And, and I didn't get too in depth in it, but I'm sure it's got to be one of the highest draft picks out of a max score in the NBA. <laughs> if not the highest for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, I think, um, I think the highest two of the, the only, I, I think I read the only top 15 picks uh, to come out of the Mac were him and Wally Zerbiak from Miami. Okay. If, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, when you, when you think of Bonds, like he's probably one of the most notable ball state, like basketball players. When you think of him, you think of Majerus, you think of McCollum, other than those three, there's not really a name that stands out in my mind. And yeah, I think that's a solid first pick. I definitely had him on my list. I'm sure you had him on yours. Yeah. One guy too who played at Ball State who I wouldn't know, but it's Ricky Davis. Mm. He uh, he went to my high school, and so he he was a, a stud point guard at Ball State for four years. His picture is actually in the arena on the outside, uh, inside the arena along the top wall where they show all the athletes. Mm-hmm. And next time when you guys are in there, it's uh, him with his tongue out. So he always would dribble left with his tongue out. Okay. And so he's up, he went to, I went to high school with him. But, you know, when it, those are the three guys, four guys, who I think about when does come to Ball State basketball just because the relationship with them, but also on a grander scale, those, those other guys made moves. Solid. Yeah. Can't go wrong with any of them. We are moving on to my pick, the second pick. This is a little bit personal for me, the person I'm going to mention. It's I just got to be- say, I just got to say real quick, you've talked this up a lot, Sam. So I'm really, really looking forward to what this is. I, this this is a guy who I believe is is will be probably a stud if he ever gets a chance, but I don't know. He's 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 done some decent things in Euro ball so far. It's gonna be Taylor Persons with my number one pick. Yeah. I'll give you I'll give you my like backstory into why I picked him. My brother, who just graduated from Notre Dame, was uh, he, he's a big Notre Dame fan, and he uh, kind of, like, looks down on me for going to Ball State and went on and, like, pecks <laughs> on me. So this was the one game where I can fall back on with Taylor Persons hitting that buzzer beater iconic three that I can always turn on. Like you said uh, while we were talking off air, they almost beat Notre Dame. I almost got to bring that up, but I always turn to this as kind of my, like, bragging thing against him going to Notre Dame. That's why I picked him. It, it's just like my he he's the reason I can have bragging rights over him. Sure, I, re, I remember watching that, and it was one of those things too where you know you kind of had the game on in the background. You didn't really pay, weren't paying too much attention up. You just had it on TV to watch it, and then you see them going up the court with four seconds to go or whatever it was, and the ball's in the air. You're like, oh, this goes in. <laughs> like this is yeah. huge. And obviously the the ball at the bottom of the net went in, and you know the rest is history. Yeah, I um I remember watching on uh, FS1 the next day. I'm sure you guys know Jason Whitlock, another available oh, yeah. Ball State alum. I remember him talking that up and them showing the uh, showing the highlight of that shot on uh, on First Things First or um, not First Things First. Um, uh, what's speak. The, I, speak for yourself. There you go. You got it. Thank yeah. you, AJ. But um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's another guy that I looked at on my list. Um, he's you know the first guy ever in in Ball State history with 1,500 points and 400 mm-hmm. assists. Um, you know, four-time Mac West Division Player of the Week, All Mac Third Team, his senior year. Definitely a great, great pick, Sam. I love, love the little personal connection there too. So I guess what that brings it to me, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, all right, cool. So 
as, as, as the lone ball state outsider here, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, my first overall pick here is going to be someone that I, uh, not a personal connection to, but I have a, my, my sporting fandom has a connection to here. So AJ, I'm not sure if you know, but I, I'm born and raised in Pittsburgh, big Pirates fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this guy here didn't necessarily work out for the Pirates, but my first overall pick here, I'm going Brian Bullington. Okay. He is the uh, the only Mac player ever to be selected first overall of a major sports league professional draft. Uh, he was the first overall pick of the Pirates in 2002. Uh, he was a the 2001 and 2002 Mac Pitcher of the Year. Uh, he is the uh, let's see here, 21 and five in his uh, last season, 2001, 21 and five, 3.01 ERA. Uh, finished that. Uh, fi- I'm sorry, that was his junior year. Uh, he also in his senior year, in his last year at Ball State, um, uh, through eight strong shutout innings in an effort over um, the Miami Hurricanes, who were the defending national champions in that game. And uh, Ball State went on to win that game. Finished his senior year with an 11-3 record and a 2.86 ERA. He finished the season uh, leading the MAC in wins, ERA, strikeouts, and innings pitched. And he uh, was once again named the MAC Player of the Year in his senior season. Uh, only team to, or oh, excuse me, only person to ever uh, get three-time uh, MAC. I'm, I'm sorry, three-time MAC Player of the Year. I lost my lost my place in my notes here. Um, <laughs> He was unanimously recognized as first-team All-American his senior year. And uh, after being drafted first overall, obviously decided to forego his last season. He left Ball State as the winningest pitcher in school history, still holds the school records for the most career wins with 29, Mm -hmm. most single-season strikeouts with 139, and most career strikeouts with 357. Um, As of 2012, uh, and some of these still hold up to this day, he holds the MAC record for career strikeouts and single-season strikeouts, and he's one of only 12 players to be named first-team All-MAC for three consecutive seasons in baseball. Now, didn't necessarily work out for the Pirates uh, once he got to the MLB, bounced around the league a little bit, pitched for the Royals and the Indians for a while, had himself uh, played seven years in the league and then went over to Japan and pitched a couple years over in Japan as well. So um, didn't, you know, the the, coro- the Pope, the pro career didn't quite work out as he thought it might have, but as far as his, his accolades at Ball State itself, I don't think you can get much better than what he did while he was on campus in Muncie. Sure. You know, Ball State, you know, secretly has a very good baseball program. Yeah, that's look, one thing I noticed as I was doing my research here. Yeah, when you go through the history of it, there's a lot of guys. Exactly. I remember the old Ball State baseball stadium. I don't know if they still have it or not. But you walk in behind the grandstands, they have a list of every player who's been drafted. And okay. it's a pretty extenuous list. You know, because obviously the Indians have Zach Plesak right now. Uh, you know, and there's a gentleman uh, with the White Sox, I believe, a catcher. I can't remember his name. Or he's in their organization. But, yeah, they've, they've low-key had a great program for a number of years now. Yeah, and not to mention a first overall pick. I mean, we, we don't have many of those at Ball State, let alone in the yeah. Mac in general. So, anytime you can have a first overall pick, it's definitely nothing to brag about. And, yeah, he didn't do much in the MLB-wise. But, hey, like, first overall, you're still a major league pitcher. And he definitely did his work at, in Ball mm-hmm. State. Definitely did. Definitely did. So I felt the need to include him uh, so that I'll, I'll take him as my first overall. And I guess what is that third overall for, for our draft here Um, for my, for my second pick here. uh, This one here, I actually was really surprised with some of these stats I'm about to throw at you guys here um, as I was doing my research. So for this one here, um, this one, I'm going for the brand. I'm going Brad Maynard, 
Now, um, that might sound a little bit ridiculous. He was, he not, for anyone who doesn't know, Brad Maynard uh, was a punter for Ball State from 1993 to 1996, went on to punt for um, 11 years in the league. Now, some of you guys out there might be questioning me, why would I pick a, a punter on my Mac, Mac Mount Rushmore here for Ball State? Well, let me just read you some of these uh, stats. So he punted for Ball State from 1993 to 1996, and in his senior year, he was the first punter ever named to uh, an NCAA Division I Conference Player of the Year. Think about that. In 1996, as a senior, he was the MAC Player of the Year as a punter. He was also named uh, the MAC Defensive Player of the Year that year. He was named first team All American on 13 All American teams in his final two seasons, went to the Senior Bowl. NFL Combine obviously uh, did well enough there to get drafted. He set the school record and the MAC record for career punt average with a little over 44 yards per punt. Was a three-time MAC All-First Team selection. Uh, such a, he was such a good punter that the Giants selected him in the third round of the NFL draft, which is unheard of for punters. I mean, no, but no punters get drafted that high. And um, he spent his first four seasons there. Um, hit that 44 yards per punt average ranks third in NCAA history. Uh, he was named onto the consensus All-American and All-MAC team uh, his senior year. And again, won the MAC defensive player and conference MVP following his senior season. So I felt the need to include him just because of that. Nobody else has done any of those things as a punter. So for my second pick, I'm going with Brad Maynard. Yeah, Brad's a guy who, uh, you know, when you think of him, you don't think MAC. Yeah, with the talent he has, you think he he should be playing at a power five school, but you know, being a uh, you know Mac Player of the Year and in an era too. At that point, the Mac was put, or putting out a lot of good players. Yeah, the early '90s was prime for the Mac Conference when it came to you know big or big time names, and for him to be Player of the Year is incredible. And so, and for for Ball State to find a kid like him, and generally, you know, at that point to do what he did. You know, it's it's great. I believe he is in the Ball State Hall, uh, Athletic Hall of Fame. He is, yes. Yep. And and just to reiterate, third round usually punters and specialists go fifth, sixth, seventh round. The only like latest one I can think of is Aguayo from the Buccaneers, who got selected second round, I believe. But other than right. that, punters really don't go this high in form to be named Mac most valuable player out of running backs, quarterbacks, wide receivers, defensive back, everybody. A punter, like, that just seems absurd to me. It does. And, and I think, I, I, you know, if you look at Ball State's teams from the mid-'90s, I think it, it probably helped his case a little bit that, the, you know, it wasn't the best era of Ball State football, so he had a lot of opportunities to get on the field and show his leg. Uh, but still, the, the fact that, um, you know, what he put on tape every Saturday obviously spoke for itself. I mean, what an incredible career. Went on, the, again, 11 years in the league, was a great punter for many years for, for a couple of different teams. I just I felt compelled to include him. I, I was surprised I was doing it even as I was putting his name on the list. But you can't look past some of those accolades mm. and those awards he had. So then that, uh, I guess that'll send it back to you, you Sam, here. I'm going to go switch over to the football field. I'm going to go with Dante Ridgeway. Dante Ridgeway uh, was named a finalist for the Fred Bolitnikoff Award. He ranked first in receiving yards per game and total receiving yards back in 2004. Ridgeway set the MAC record with 105 catches in 2004. He completed his career ranked first in receiving yards, uh, passes caught, and 100-yard receiving games. He was second in touchdown passes caught with 22. He was just an overall beast for us being the wide receiver from Ball State. 
Yeah, great, great pick, Sam. I, you know what, I when I started doing my um, my research here, it was you know I I was looking through the list on the Ball State Athletics Hall of Fame, and I saw his name, and I was like, that name rings a bell. Like I I remember how prolific he was as a receiver. I mean, to be the um you know the lead the uh, lead the you know school record in in receiving yards, uh, in passes caught, and a hundred yard games. Um, you know, led the nation in uh, receptions per game and total receiving yards as a junior in 2004. I mean, he was a heck of a talent uh, while he was on campus in uh, in Muncie. He's another one of those guys that, you know, after he left Ball State, didn't necessarily have the success at the professional level, but still, I mean, th- those stats that he put on tape, you know, and, and, and has in the record books that while he was on campus, you can't look past that. There's a reason he's at the Ball State Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Just just like you, Zach, I, uh, I hear his name, I go, I forgot he was in Muncie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, okay, that's right. I remember him and what he was able to put out uh, on the field on, on Saturdays. And, you know, it's kind of shows, you know, the receiving core at Ball State's been tough for a number of years and it still shows to this day. Definitely. So. Yeah, definitely does. I feel like Ball State, I mean, I feel like it's, it's funny because as I feel like as a program, Ball State, in football might not have had the success that some other teams in the Mac have had. But when you look at guys like Dante Ridgeway, like, like Brad Maynard, like some of these other guys that I'm sure we're going to be talking about here, like there were, have been some great individual talents that have come through Muncie over the years. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's kind of unfortunate that they've never been able to have, you know, sustained team success as a program, but you know, there's been pockets of it here and there, but you can't deny some of the individual talent that's come through. And the attributes to that, you know, sustaining talent is what we talked about right before we got on air was the facilities. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's huge into it, which is they're finally catching up on. So hopefully uh, we can go back to, you know, like 2013, like we talked about early on, you know, when we, we were good. Hopefully we go back to those dates here in the next couple of uh, years. So it was my pick now. And uh, let's see, I'm going to go. This one's actually close to home to me for a couple of reasons. One, he's from my hometown in Ohio. Two, my parents and his parents are good friends. And three, I went camping with him when I was a little kid. (laughs) His name is Brad Snyder, baseball player. He was an outfielder and first baseman. Uh, In 168 games at Ball State, he hit 378 with 36 home runs, 150 RBIs. He was the first team all-freshman selection of 2001 and an all-American the Mid-American uh, Conference Player, the Baseball Player of the Year in 2003. I mean, he was drafted by the Cleveland Indians in the first round, uh, the 18th pick in 2003. He was a little journeyman in the NBA, or the NBA, the MLB, played for the Cubs, played for the Rangers, Diamondbacks, uh, went over to Korea, played, he actually played fairly well in Korea. Uh, he only played a few games, you know, a couple seasons really in the bigs. Uh, after converting from outfield to first base, I remember watching a game one time, and uh, it was Texas they were playing, and I looked over, and Brad Snyder, first base, I go, <laughs> our Brad Snyder, is it? I looked it up, and it was. They converted, converted him from right field to first base, and that's how we broke into the league. That's how he got his first opportunity down there in, uh, in Arlington. On the MLB, he batted 167 with two home runs and eight runs batted in. Over the Korean Baseball League, he batted uh, 267 with 142 hits, 30 home runs, 88 RBIs. Um, so he was – he was so yeah. Spent time with the Cubs, obviously after the Indians. He spent the Iowa Cubs, and then went to Texas in fourteen. Uh, played there for two years, and then went to Korea and played the rest of his major league ball over there. But he is in the Ball State Hall of Fame. 
was inducted in 2013. Uh, I was honored because I actually could, I saw that he was going to be there and I went to that ceremony. So that was really cool. Um, but it was so funny in 2007, uh, we went down to uh, Cleveland, or Cleveland. We went down to the Indian Spring Training in Winter Haven, Florida, and Brad happened to be on the team at the time. So my parents reached out to his and said, hey, us and our boys are going down there. We're going to go to spring training. You know, can you let Brad know? And so his parents told Brad, and we went down there. He met up with us. He signed autographs for us. He took pictures with us. He gave us a bunch of cool merch from the locker room. He introduced us to Travis Hafner, Ronnie Belliard. Uh, I think it was Richie Sexton's last year there. So a bunch of these guys we grew up watching and loving, he, was, he introduced us to. And actually, my mantle up here, I have two baseballs from that spring training that were autographed uh, by huh. him for Indians players. But as I mentioned, he was the first-round pick of 2003. Uh, he went, let's see here, with a triple-A league. Of course, that was triple-A Pacific Coast League at the time. Um, but, yeah, he spent time with the Cubs, Houston, and Arizona. He uh, worked a little bit in the big leagues after he was done playing, but he actually lives here in Fort Wayne now. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of cool to have him around. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's a guy who, when you think of Ball State baseball, and, you know, I didn't put him on, on my list, but his brother Ben also played at Ball State. And he was a, pro, a prolific pitcher as well. He uh, he saw time in the bird. He didn't make it to the bigs, but he was drafted by the San Francisco Giants. And I think he played most of his ball down in the single A for, uh, it was Augusta, the Augusta Green Jackets. He spent his time there. But, yeah, with my pick here, my second pick, I'm going Brad just because it is a little personal to me. Oh, that's awesome. I, I love the personal connections we're getting here. Mm-hmm. I think when I look up Brad Snyder, the thing that really jumped out to me, I didn't include him on my list, but I, you know, I was someone I considered as I was doing my research. Uh, 2003, first team All-America. He hit in 2003, he hit 405 on the season. I mean, if, you, if you're hitting over 400, I don't care what level that's at. I mean, you're raking at that point. Point. I mean, that's, that's impressive. Um, you know, career, he had a 378 um, batting average, single season record for doubles and, and uh, runs per game. He's, you know, Mac most valuable players is senior year, all Mac first team. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are numbers that you cannot argue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And especially coming from a small town, Ohio in Bellevue, which is near Sandusky. Uh, you know, there's been a few guys who have made it out and to play college ball and they get to the, their professionals and he's one of them, so that's always cool. A cool claim to fame. Yeah, so, uh, and th- and this is another person to add to the like a- illustrious like baseball team. Like mm-hmm. we, people yeah. don't give us credit, but did, uh, AJ, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't we have like a second rounder last year? Or was we it- did. He's with the White Sox, I believe. Okay, I believe so- he's a catcher in their organization, I believe. Okay. But then again, when those guys get into you know single A ball, I mean they could end up wherever. Yeah, you know, you never really sure. set with yeah, sports. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. My second, my third pick, rather here. I'm gonna go Blaine Bishop. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy when you talk about Ball State football, just in general, a Mount Rushmore football players. He is probably one of, if not the top, on that Mount Rushmore. Uh, he's out of Indianapolis, and I didn't realize this until I did some research. As he played at St. Joe College. Division three school, but then transferred to Ball State. Well, St. Joe College is no longer in existence. They shut oh, wow. down years ago. Because I, I was recruited to play there out of high school. And I'm glad I didn't because the school shut down two years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's at Indianapolis Cathedral. Uh, if you, for people who don't know, Indy Cathedral is a factory of football players. 
Mm-hmm. And they're pumping guys out, Division One football players and basketball players and some baseball guys actually, left and right. Uh, but, yeah, he was the eighth – and this is the NFL had eight rounds in the draft. So he was drafted in, the 90, in 93 – the eight, uh, eighth round, 220, or 214th pick by the Houston Oilers, Texas Tennessee Oilers, Tennessee Titans, whatever you want to call them. He was different. He spent most of his career actually in Tennessee or with that organization from '93 to '01. Uh, then he was the Philadelphia Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles in 2002 for uh, one season. But during the NFL, he was a four-time Pro Bowler, first team All Conference '95, second team All Conference '96, second or second team All Pro in 2000. NFL stats, 72, or 728 tackles, 15 and a half sacks, 13 forced fumbles, 11, 11 uh, fumble recoveries, if I can talk, five interceptions, one defensive touchdown. You know, there's no uh, – as I mentioned, he did transfer from St. Joe College to Ball State. Uh, he Bishop earned a uh, Mid-American Conference second team in 92 and is a senior uh, – oh, excuse me, 92 was his senior year in the 90s as a sophomore – uh, he was a team captain his senior year. He made 243 total tackles, 13 pass breakups, 15 tackles for loss, 12 sacks, and one interception and one blocked kick. So it's kind of cool, too. I don't know if you guys, you know, Sam, if you've been in the football facility before, but you walk in, there's kind of a shrine to former players. Mm-hmm. And his, his stuff, his jerseys, and some of his memorabilia is up there. And it's really cool to see kind of the past. And I believe he's also in the Tennessee Titans Ring of Honor. I believe they did that last year. Yeah. For two years. And and a thing to add, uh, my dad actually went to Cathedral, so I know all about the factory oh, yeah. and that goes on there. Definitely a great pick. I had him on my list. I mean, he made to the NFL, which few Ball State players can say. I have another person went to the NFL on my list, a couple actually. But, yeah, he's he's definitely a solid pick. I mean, yeah, I think I think he's another great one. Uh, and to think, and, uh, too, Dawkins, too, who's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, like, yeah. In, in Philly, like, okay, that's – you have yeah. to be good to be up playing on that level. For sure. And, like, honestly, Blaine Bishop, I, I think, again, I had him on my list as well. I think all I needed to see, four-time pro bowler. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all you need to know. If, if you're a four-time pro bowler, that's end of discussion for me. I don't think there's anything else. I mean, I think when I look at his stats and his accolades while he was actually at Ball State, nothing that, like, really, like, jumps off the page. It's not like he's – there. you know, there's any, like, records that he holds at Ball State or anything like that. But if you go to the league and you you make four pro holes, three all-pro selections, that's all I need to see. Sure. And he played He played in that Super Bowl, too, against Kurt Warner yep. and Rand. Uh, you know, it was a Dyson who dove and was just, just short. Yeah, yeah. just there, there ended up a yard short. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely he's got to be number one on on Ball State's football. I, I think I, I even put him above Maynard, honestly. Maynard had such great success, but with yeah. the way Bishop, you know, his career and the longevity of his career too. For I sure. Mean, especially at free safety, you don't find that very hard because in that era, those guys hit hard. Yeah, such you know, a physical middle, position. They were missiles coming across. Definitely and so longevity like he did, uh, that's huge. Definitely agree. Great, great pick. Uh, it is my. Is it my pick? Back to you, Sam. Okay, okay. I think I'm gonna also take a kind of a dip into the uh, baseball realm. I'm gonna go with uh, Thomas Howard. He's a little bit of an older guy. He's a 1986 All American first team selection. He was the uh, 1986 MAC Conference Player of the Year two-time All-Mac in All-District choice. Howard was actually the first Ball State player uh, to get selected in the first round, even before Bonzi got selected. 11 seasons in the majors, a 264 batting average, 297 runs, 44 home runs, 
165 base on balls, 66 stolen bases, and a 311 on base percentage, and a 384 slugging percentage. I think it's a solid choice considering he was the first ever Ball State player to get selected in the first round. I got to be honest, Sam, that's the first guy that's come across here that was not on my list, but uh, he, he wasn't someone that I came across in my research, but everything you just mentioned right there, I, I, I can't many arg- make any arguments with that. I mean, you want to talk about someone that kind of like set the precedent for greatness at Ball State by being the first overall, you know, the first person to be drafted in the first round there. That right there is, is a very, very strong argument for me. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to what we've mentioned before, Ball State's baseball program highly underrated. Yeah. Highly underrated. I honestly, I never realized like before I started doing this research uh, the other last night for, for this segment, um, I, I knew of Brian Bullington, but I didn't realize how much sustained success that the yeah. Ball State uh, baseball program has had over the years. I mean, it's really, really impressive for, you know, a mid-major school, not only a mid-major school, but if you think about college baseball, Northern schools are not supposed to be that good at baseball. You think of when you think about the great baseball schools, you're thinking about SEC teams, Big 12 teams, Pac 12 teams, the places where they can play baseball all year long. You think about the Big 10, you think about the MAC and, and some of these Northern conferences, you're not thinking about baseball. So the fact that Ball State has been able to have sustained success on the diamond over the years really is a testament to how strong of a program it is. Absolutely. And, you know, those guys, you know, you mentioned the USC's and the SoCal's because they play ball year round, you know, exactly. they can, you know, in the winter here, you're in the cage. It's, it's a lot different than a pitching machine. So, you know, but a lot of these Midwest guys, you know, you know when I talk about Midwest baseball players, I always bring up, this is nothing to do with ball state or anybody, but it's Jim Tomey out of Peoria, Illinois. He is the prototypical Midwest baseball player. Yeah. He just hits bombs and goes back and works on the farm comes back and hits more bombs and does the same thing all over again. And he, he obviously made a Hall of Fame career out of it. So it's very rich in talent in this part of the country, I'd say. And, you know, again, baseball, you know, speaking of the history and the richness of it, Greg Beals, he was the baseball coach at Ohio State, came from Ball State. Oh, okay. So, you know, he's, he was very successful in Muncie. And actually Ball State and Ohio State just traded coaches, essentially. And so – yeah, he's done great things in Ohio State, but again, it's part of the Midwest program because he came from Springfield, Ohio. And so, you know, not to change the subject, but yeah, he's a, another Ball State guy who spent some time and was very successful. Good stuff. Zach, um, I believe it is your yeah, pick. Back to me here. All right, cool. Uh, with this next pick here for me, um, I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path. I'm thinking, I don't know if this might be someone that wasn't even on either one of your lists. I'm going to the women's basketball program here. I'm going with uh, Tamara Bowie. Uh, Tamara Bowie played women's basketball uh, from 1999 to 2003 for the Cardinals. She was the first women's basketball player in MAC history to be drafted into the WNBA. Uh, she was the 2001 and 2003 MAC Player of the Year, uh, three-time All-MAC First Team choice, and a two-time All-MAC First Team tournament selection. Uh, she graduated from Ball State as the all-time leading scorer with 2,091 points. She was also uh, left her career at the Cardinals uh, first in school history in ball in block shots and games played, and second in rebounds. Um, she helped Ball State to an 80 and 40 record over her her four years, and so those 
80 wins over a four-year period uh, at the time was a record for any uh, women's basketball player at, Men's State, uh, at, at Ball State. This is the most successful four-year run in school history at that time. And she also helped the Cardinals uh, to their first ever postseason appearance in women's basketball when uh, they made it to the WNIT in her junior and her senior year in 2002-2003. So again, all-time leader in, uh, in points, uh, blocked shots and games played, number two in rebounds, and was also the first MAC player uh, ever women's basketball to be draft, drafted into the WNBA. So um, for my next choice, I'm going with Tamara Bowie. And I felt like that one, again, I wanted to, I feel like, you know, I, I included a lot of basketball, a lot of football here, a couple of baseball players. I wanted to throw in something a little bit different. So I felt like Tamara's accolades there really kind of warranted consideration on this list. Sure. And, you know, Ball State's women's program, has slowly been back on the rise. Uh, you know, they had a great year. Of course, women's Mac in general this whole year, this past year was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sad that we didn't get a tournament because they would have been some of the best basketball in the country. Definitely. Definitely agree with that. Central Michigan was solid. I think Central Michigan only had like one or two losses. Ball State only had two or three. Western was up there. Toledo. We had the Toledo women's coach on our show a couple months ago and just being able to talk about the Mac women's in a whole it's on the rise and it's going to be some exciting basketball in, in the years to come. Yeah. And I, and I actually got a beat. I don't know if you saw it in person. I actually got to watch a few um, ball state women's basketball games in person. Mm-hmm. They were, they were impressive. Not going to lie. I watched the Butler game. It was super close. I think I was also at the um, uh, Xavier game as well, which was a little bit of a blowout, but yeah, yeah. really solid program. I loved what I watched, even though they did lose in the first round to Eastern Michigan before everything got canceled. Yeah. But, but other than that, they were super fun to watch. Yeah. My son, I had plans to go to the women, men's and women's tournament this year. And uh, obviously everything was shut down. We were, we were going to do the championship round of the women's tournament. And then I think we were going to do as many as we could for the men's. And obviously I think everything shut down, but yeah, it was, it was a shame because this is the year was going to be some tremendous basketball. And so we had Trisha Culp on, who's a Toledo woman's coach. And she, I think she was getting jittery the entire time just talking about it. She knows the talent she has coming in, and she knows the talent alone just in the MAC and how good she's, her players are going to have to be in order to compete. And uh, so we had a great insight with that. But, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's getting better. It's, it's going to be a lot better in the next couple of years, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. And it really is. Just add that to the list of things that suck about things getting canceled back in, you know, back in March. We, we would have loved, seen some great basketball men, on the men's and the women's side uh, this year in the MAC and, you know, the MAC tournaments there in Cleveland. The, the men still has an uh, opportunity for a few teams to get into the tournament. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I mean, think about, I think about, you know, this past year, like Bowling Green, I loved watching Bowling Green, loved watching Buffalo, loved watching Kent State. There was so much talent in the MAC on the men's side, women's side as well. It's it really is such a shame. I wish we would have gotten to see them compete, not only in the MAC tournaments, but, you know, in the NCAA mm-hmm. tournament as well. Um, all right, so my next pick here, uh, this is going to be my fourth pick. Um, I'm going back to the football field. This one's a little bit more recent. This is a guy that I'm sure we all had on our list, a guy that I'm sure we all remember watching. I'm going with Keith Wenning. I, I don't think you can, you can argue with, with having him on this list. Uh, holds the school records for touchdown passes with 91, passing yards with 11,187, and completions with 1,012, and pass attempts with 1,598. Um, Passed for 250 more yards in a game uh, 22 times in his career, which is also a Ball State record. Um, 
uh, set the school record with six touchdown passes in one game in a game against Miami, uh, owns the top five single-game completion totals and top three single-game pass attempt totals in Ball State history. Uh, he's also fourth all-time in MAC history in touchdown passes, sixth in passing yards, fourth in pass completions, and fourth also in pass attempts. And the other thing here, when I think about Keith Wenning and when I think about like that great, you know, that great era of Ball State football with Keith Wenning and uh, Pete Lembo and, you know, Willie Sneed catching passes from him. The game that I think about and the game that I went back and looked at the box score was uh, 2013 when the Cardinals went down to Charlottesville and absolutely throttled Virginia 48 to 27. Now that wasn't a great Virginia team, but you're still talking about an ACC opponent. The Cardinals went down there and hung 48 on them. Keith Wenning in that game was uh, 23 for 41, 346 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, one of those classic examples of a Mac team really going in and dominating a power five opponent, Ball State really, I mean, that was that was the prime example of it. Ball State went on to go 10-2 and two that year, ended up unfortunately losing to Arkansas State in the, the GoDaddy.com Bowl, which we talked about uh, before we got on here, AJ. So just because of all those things, I, I, I felt compelled to include Keith Wenning on this list, even if he might have been somewhat of an obvious choice. Sure. That whole year, you know, because obviously we talked about off air, I, was, I transferred to Ball State in 13, so I was there for that season. And to this day, it still hurts me because that team was so good. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it was us in Northern Illinois. I can get to that in a second. But I remember that Virginia game. You know, he and Willie Sneed connected for three touchdowns or something like that. Yep. Uh, Juwan Edwards is a running back, ran for maybe two. Uh, but when I look at Keith, too, and I remember him playing, he threw one of the most prettiest spirals I've seen. Because he was your prototypical three-step drop, yes. I'm going to get it to you. He yeah. was so good at it. Coming out of Coldwater High School in Coldwater, Ohio, uh, just it's literally right across the border from Indiana, not too far from Muncie. Uh, but for him, he was just so cool, calm, and collected in the pocket, and he would he could put a ball anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, the offensive coordinator at the time was uh, oh, his ball was State. Joey Lynch. Well, Joey Lynch. Yes, there yep. it is. Yeah, his dad was at IU a few years prior. Yep, that's right. And, uh, of course, Joey, I think, is now in Colorado, I think, or Colorado State. Yeah, one of the two. yeah Colorado State. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, their playbook was wide open because we had three receivers who could catch. We had Juwan who could run. We had an offensive line of two guys that probably, made, I think, made it to the league that year. And so that season, of course, defensively, the two, Eric Patterson, rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jonathan Newsom on defensive end. Uh, oh, man. So I'm trying to think of some of these names. It's been so long since I thought of them. But I mean, yeah, there, there was, I mean, just the, t- the amount of talent on that team, especially as a guy, you know, I grew up, you know, I grew up playing football. I was an offensive guy, right? I played wide receiver in high school. So like, I love watching good offensive football. And if you just look at their, at the schedule from that year and the results from that year, I mean, 51 points, 40 points, 51, 31, 48, 38, 42, 44, 55. I mean, they were, they, they could hang 40 points on almost anybody. I mean, it was so much fun to watch. And I've said this before on previous episodes of our podcast, but like when I think about like the peak of Mac football, I'm thinking about 
high scoring, mm-hmm. throwing the ball around the yard, you know, you know, fast pace, quick, no huddle offense. And that like ball state that year was the epitome of that type yeah. of football. So much fun to watch. I was honestly like ball state that year, even as a neutral observer, as a kid that grew up in Pennsylvania, like ball state football games that year for me were appointment television because they were so much fun to watch. They could put up points on anybody they could score in you know if they had the ball you know first and 10 on their own 10 yard line it didn't matter they could score in three plays you never knew what they were going to do it was it was just it was great to watch and you know i talked to you guys a little bit a little story for you i told you off the air but for your listeners uh, 2013 we're going to northern illinois and that's when that jordan lynch and we all remember jordan lynch and how he just ran over everybody every time and so uh (laughs) we're that was the last game of the year i believe or second to last it was a late matching game and uh so Brady Hoke, obviously being a Ball State alum, he was coaching in Michigan at the time, and he paid for 200 Ball State students to take a bus trip from Muncie to DeKalb to go to that game. So we paid for our bus, our ticket, our food, everything. And it was a Wednesday night match, I believe it was. And so, like I said, late fall, cold out. But we all, we all skipped class, you know, Wednesday afternoon and pretty much all day Thursday just to take a bus trip up there just because, one, we do, I wanted to see Jordan Lynch. Now, I wanted to see if he was just as good as advertised. And, yeah, you can watch him on TV, but seeing the person just gives you a whole new perspective on him. And so, and at the time, you know, they were, it was a close game really up until the fourth quarter. And then I believe Keith threw a late pick six. And then after that, the wheels kind of started to unravel there. But, uh, you know, it, that's going back to Keith. He always kept us in games. He put up points. You know, gets conference and non-conference foes. And so – you know, you know, that season still, yeah. oh, still hurts me. I remember everything so vividly going down to Virginia. Oh, it just hurts. Yeah. Oh, it hurts so much. And, and, for, <laughs> and for you listeners, the team was so good. Ball State put the entire team on the Hall of Fame, the 2012 football team in the Hall of Fame. So that just shows you, shows you how good they were. Uh, I never got to see it in person, unfortunately, like um, you, AJ. But uh, uh, earlier this year, uh, Ball State football put out like a – uh, football uh, players recapping their wins. So I got to experience yep. their win over Virginia through that. Yeah, so that was kind of cool. Joel Gadette did that, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I know Joel. He's a good dude. And, uh, yeah, I remember I watched a little bit. because like, They actually had Keith and Willie and all those guys and Juwan. They were all kind of doing recaps on it and stuff like that. And then uh, the tight end at the time is the strength coach now for the Indianapolis Colts, or one of the strength coaches. Uh, I can't think of his name right now. But, uh, yeah, he's down in Indianapolis with them. So, you know, that team was just loaded. And, you know, I can remember, too, and I don't know if you're t- in your time at Ball State, you've missed a day because of weather or winter or anything like that. But that bowl game was at the beginning of the start of the second semester. It was the beginning of the second semester. And we missed the first two days of the second semester because it was negative 40 wind chill, blowing snow, everything. The, sheet, the roads were just a sheet of ice, essentially. So we were snowed in for two days. And our first night was that bowl game. So we were stuck inside, you know, watching the game. And then obviously we lose in a last second. We either missed a field goal to win it or they made a last second. I forget how that went. Um, but, yeah, here we are stuck inside depressed because we can't go do anything. So we just have to sulk in this loss until the following season. And then obviously the wheels of Ball State football kind of fell off there. But hopefully, you know, we can tell maybe we'll do this next year uh, after next season. But uh, yeah. hopefully they'll start coming back. So. Good stuff. I love it. So that's, uh, I guess that's what back to you now, Sam, we were in the fourth yep. round. 
Yep. And, uh, and we have not missed a day to uh, inclement weather. I just remember that so far. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for with my pick, I'm going to go, I'm going to sign between two people. Uh, I'm going to go back to the basketball. I'm going to go back to the basketball court. I'm going to go with Ray McCallum. If you don't know who Ray McCallum is, he's, I would consider him. He's one of the legends around Ball State basketball, the yeah. the program in general. So first of all, he was he graduated from Ball State in 1983 as the all time leading scorer in both Ball State and MAC uh, scoring. Uh, McCallum led uh, Ball State to its first ever MAC championship in 1981 and 1982, and the first ever NCAA tournament appearance for the Cardinals. He was Ball State uh, MVP for three years the max uh, MVP in 1983, as well as a three-time first-team All-American, as well as being a coach for Ball State, leading them to a positive record of 126 and 76, as well as multiple NCAA tournament appearances. Yeah, I mean, that's you want to talk about a guy. I don't think there's many – I don't think there's anybody on any of our Mount Rushmores that we've had so far – as a guy that someone that did it on the court as an athlete for the school, and then also came back and did it as a coach as well. I mean, you want to talk about brought Penn Ball State to um, what two NCAA tournaments and an IT appearance in uh, his six seasons as Ball State's head coach, and you know, obviously parlayed that success to get a promotion, became the head coach down at Houston for a couple of years in the early 2000s, and then uh, more recently led Detroit uh, University of Detroit for a few years after that. But I mean, yeah. Talk about a guy that was um, a, a great player in his own right on the court and then a great coach in his time as well. That's someone that you have to include. I mean, when you're talking about the greats of Ball State basketball, someone that's done it on the sideline and on the court as an athlete, you can't get doesn't get much better than that. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's so funny, too, speaking of a coach, my next pick is a Ball State basketball coach. So we're going we're gonna to throw it back here to uh, – we'll throw it back to the 80s here. Rick Margeris. Yeah. He, uh, he, he was a journeyman as a coach. I mean, he coached at Marquette from 71 to 83. He's an assistant. He became the head coach in 83 to 86. Uh, was the Milwaukee Bucks from 86 to 87. He came to Ball State from seven, or 87 to 89. Took the Utah job from 88 to 04. And then sit, he took a break, went to ESPN, did some analytical things, then went from 07 to 12, went to St. Louis. But his overall head coaching record is 117 and 215. It was 19 and 12 in the NCAA tournament. Uh, let's see here. Eight and four in the NIT and three one in the CBI, which I don't know if the CBI is a thing anymore. Never hear about it. But uh, yeah. so he was the re- went to the regional round of the Final Four in 98. Mac, he won the MAC regular season in 89, won the MAC tournament in 89. Six WAC regular season championships, three WAC tournament championships, and two uh, Midwest Valley Conference. Uh, he won the conference 03, or excuse me, 2000 and 2003 as a five-time coach of the year in the WAC. He was inducted into the College Basketball Hall of Fame in 2019. You know, he's got quite the resume, but during his time at Ball State, he was 43-17. and 17. After going 14-14 and 14 his first year, uh, he led in 88-89. Uh, he went to the NCAA tournament. The team, uh, let's see here. He was inducted into the Ball State Athletic Hall of Fame. Then he obviously took the Utah job. That's where he spent most of his time and had a lot of, su- a lot of success there when you're going down his resume because that led him to Team USA in 2004, or excuse me, in 94. Spent a quick quick stint at USC before he was uh, had, was forced to resign there. But during his time at Ball State, I mean, you go, you go through uh, 
you know, the Nash, as we call it, the basketball court, and his picture is on one of the pillars holding the building up. So he just mm-hmm. only being there for two years, he definitely did leave a staple on Ball State basketball. And I think that's one of those things, too, looking back from the teams now, it kind of put Ball State basketball back on the map and kind of put this trajectory of upwards, of, of playing good basketball, uh, you know, to now. Because yeah. my first year there, it was bad. Wigger uh, and our coach, it was tough. And then he just turned it around, and then, you know, they're playing good basketball now. But uh, you look at his resume, too, it's impressive. He was not a slouch, you know, of a coach. Unfortunately, he passed in 2012 the heart, uh, to a heart condition. I mean, the dude won championships. He won coach of the year. You know, it's, you know, he's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it doesn't get much more, yeah. more, your accolades don't get much more higher than that. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I think that, um, that 88-89 team that where he was the coach at Ball State, I mean, going 29-3, that's a school record, most wins in a season. Um, and then I think the thing, I think what a lot of people think about Rick Majerus, they think about the time he spent at Utah. And so for any of our listeners out there, when, when Rick Majerus went to Utah and during his tenure at Utah, this is not the Utah that we know as the current day. You know, this is, you know, obviously Utah nowadays, you're in the, in the Pac-12, you're a Power 5 team. That, when he went to Utah, that's not the, stat, the, the kind of the prestige that Utah had at that time. You're talking about a team that was in the WAC and then eventually joined the Mountain West. In 1997-98, when he took Utah to the NCAA tournament title game and lost to Kentucky. I mean, they were still in the Western Athletic Conference. I mean, that's like it, to put that in 2020 perspective. Imagine if if Wyoming or Boise State made a run to the the NCAA tournament final game. I mean, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So the fact that he did that while he was there is quite an impressive feat. And you just look at his tenures across the board. I mean, he had success every single place that he went to. Marquette, three years as a coach there, three NIT appearances. Ball State obviously took them to the tournament in his second year there, turned that into the Utah job where he took them to the doorstep of a national championship. And then even more recently, uh, when he was the coach at St. Louis, his last year there in 2011-2012, they went 26-8 and and 12-4. and They made it to the, the second round of the NCAA tournament that year. St. Louis, that's another school not necessarily known for success in basketball. So, I mean, the fact that he won everywhere that he was and did it in places that aren't traditionally basketball powerhouses. I think that just speaks to how good of a coach he really was. Absolutely. And I love to compare that Utah team to today's present day, Wichita state. Great comparison. Yes. I think that's a great comparison just because Wichita state came out of nowhere. And yet, you know, for three or four years there at a time, they were competing for the tournament, you know, their final four or, you know, elite eight final four, just about every year. And, you know, yeah. Majerus, he lost to Kentucky when Rick Pitino was their coach. Yes. So it's not like you're losing to a slouch. Yep. Like, Rick Pitino went on and did incredible things. And so, but, yeah, I like to compare those two, you know, Wichita State and Utah, because I think their paths are very similar in that regard. And, and like, Majerus is a, like a um, – I would say when you're thinking of Mount Rushmore, he, he like, rightfully deserves to be on that. Like, there's uh, – his name is synonymous, like, around Ball State. I even hear, him, hear his name mentioned now, even – Though he's not been at Ball State for pro, what is that like twenty around twenty years? Yeah, it's been like thirty now. Yeah. 30. yeah, like it just shows to his presence. And last year, the basketball team was actually quite quite decent. If we want to talk about today's um, Ball State team, and the foundation was laid because of Majerus. And I think we have to give a bunch of credit to the 
job he's not only done at Ball State, but to the other programs that you mentioned. I mean, he won, and that got him into the Hall of Fame. So Yeah, that's it. So, AJ, I guess we're staying with you here to round out your five, cool. to, to kick off round, that. round number five here. Absolutely. Here's one that I'm surprised that's still on the board. But, you know, you went Keith Wenning. I'm going Nate Davis. Yeah, okay, yeah. Nate Davis was a uh, came out of nowhere, really, in Ball State football. He had one solid year, honestly, in 2000, what was that, seven? 2008, yeah, I believe. He finished his sophomore year, excuse me, he finished his sophomore year uh, with 3,667 yards passing, 30 touchdowns, six picks, and 235 rushing yards and five touchdowns. As a junior in 2008, uh, 12 straight victories, which, you know, is huge. Yeah. Uh, we lost to Buffalo in the MAC championship game. Uh, I believe I remember correctly. It was some late turnovers. I think that caused that to, uh, to cause us to go down to Buffalo there. But in his senior, in his junior year, he threw for three thousand four hundred forty-six yards, twenty-six touchdowns, seven picks. He also posted a passer rating of one forty-six point oh four, and so that was an improvement from his sophomore year and his freshman year. And the biggest mistake I look back on him is he declared early. And I still don't understand why. And Neither do I. I mean, he was, he was Mac Player of the Year in 2008. He was drafted by San Francisco uh, in the fifth round of the 171st pick. He went early, and I just don't get it. I To this day, 10, 12 years later, I still don't get it. That's yeah. that's kind of relatable to Willie Sneed. Like, he, he went early after three seasons, could have stuck around his fourth and ended up undrafted, which he's had success, obviously. Mm-hmm. But he went a little bit too early paid the price for it. You learn, you live and you learn. Like Sure. And, you know, he, he did pay it. Obviously he was undrafted. When he was picked up by Cleveland, I got so excited. I, I texted him right away. That was fun. Cause I'm, I'm a, I'm a Cleveland through and through everything. Yeah. And I'm sitting there like, really is going to make it. And I was doing my internship at that time with the Toledo Mudhens. And, and so the Browns played in Detroit for preseason and I went up there for it. And he had a great game. It was like the last regular season game of the year, a preseason game of the year. And he got cut the next day. But then he obviously went on. He's doing very well in Baltimore now. Yeah. But, yeah, it's similar along that path. He was in, uh, Nate Davis was in San Francisco from 09 to 10. And then Seattle's practice squad, Indianapolis practice squad, the Kansas City Command, whoever they are, the Amarillo, <laughs> Amarillo Venom, whoever they are, the Rio Grande Valley Soul, no idea. Now he's, according to Wikipedia, because, you know, Wikipedia is always right, he's back with the Am- Amarillo Venom I'm assuming it's like an indoor football league. Must I'm assuming. Be, yeah, I was thinking something yeah. arena league or something. I don't but, you know, know. He's, but as an arena quarterback, he's nine and five with 544 passing yards and a QB rating of 68.01. So you know, there's not a whole lot to talk there. <laughs> but you know, that goes back to you know, I'm reading the last part of this in, of my research here, and then just announced he would forego his senior season if he could have stayed. If he would have stayed, he you could have put him in the category. Right under Ben Roethlisberger when it came to Matt quarterbacks. Completely agree. Completely. I mean, agree. that 07-08 team was just incredible. Electric. Electric. I mean, Twelve in a row. Obviously, of course, Buffalo at that time they were a powerhouse in the MAC. They had you know, they've always been consistent, but that part uh, that early on, they yeah. were good. Yeah. But it just it hurts to this day still knowing he what, what could have happened. We could have had a bull win. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We could have had our one and only bull win if he would have stayed. And yeah. you know, I, I, I mean, 
Yeah, he's obviously he's a kid from Bel Air, Ohio, which is a small town uh, southeast Ohio, and I guess he saw you know an opportunity to go get money, and he tried, but it didn't work out. You know, and, and like to go back to him, finish eighth in the final voting for the Heisman Trophy. How yeah. many ball? How many Ball State players even get in the like top fifty? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think about Mac guys in the you know, Heisman finalists. The last one I can think about is. Uh, Northern Illinois. I just said Jordan, his name. Yeah, Jordan Lynch, yeah. He was like third or fourth. Yeah. You know, out of those two, that's it. Yeah, you know? you're right. You're right. And, and Nate Davis put – not only did he put Ball State football on the map that year, he put the MAC conference on notice that year. For sure. And, you know, I just – for him to leave early like that, you know, it's it's a shame. But, you know, he did what he had to do, and I get it. But, you know, it's, we could sit back here 12 years later and be like, what could have been? Yeah. Talking about what could have been, you look at the Ball State all-time, you know, you know, passing records, Nate Davis, second in career passing yards, second in season, single season passing yards, second in career touchdown passes, second and third in single season passing touchdowns. I mean, if he would have stayed for four years, all of those records are his. All of those records are his. I mean, yeah, and, and even even still, even after three years, a lot of those records were his because he's second to Keith Wenning so like he he set all those records he rewrote the record book there in three seasons if he would have stayed that fourth year I mean he would legitimately be probably the best football player Ball State has ever produced if you know I I don't don't think that's I don't think that's outlandish to say no and and that put like I said that comes back to putting up there with you know Ben Roethlisberger in the back when it comes to stats and whatnot (laughs) it happened and yeah, like like you said, he he saw an opportunity and he went for it. It didn't work out for him. I mean, you can't you can't disc, you know you can't fault him for for wanting no, to no, you know, take not that at all. But, but as a fan and alum, you sit back, you're like, oh come on. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That's a tough one. So I guess what Sam, uh, we're we are back to you now uh, to round out your five. Okay, for my last one, I'm gonna head over to women's basketball. I'm gonna go with. I, I think it's a solid pick. I'm going to go with Portia Green. I think that's how you pronounce her name. She was the 2008-2009 uh, MAC Defensive Player of the Year. It was a two-time All-MAC selection. A, uh, she led the Cardinals to the first NCAA appearance. And the reason why I included her list, she uh, led Ball State to a win over two-time defending national champion Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, she completed her career ranked sixth in career rebounds and assists on Ball State. It's all-time list. But I think the reason I picked her is for that win. How many times do you be a national champion? And she did in the NCAA tournament. Anytime you have a win like that under your belt, that certainly helps your argument. I think, yeah, you look, you look at her stats. She was another one that I considered, Sam. I, I ended up um, not including her. But, but, I mean, she was someone that I really looked at. I mean, three-time – uh, team captain. She was first team all Mac her senior year. Uh, you know, led the led the team in scoring for all three of her years there, and um, is, is you know in the top five of a bunch of different you know statistical categories at Ball State. I think the other thing being you know the fact that she got Ball State to the tournament for the first time. That's another huge program milestone that you can't you know take lightly. So I think that's another good pick. I think if we're talking about um, if we're talking about women's basketball, she's she's up there as, as one of the greats all time at Ball State. Absolutely. And, you, you know, it's so funny, all these people we start talking about, it all comes back to a conversation we had in this in this chat here was the rise of the Mac Women's Conference. <laughs> like, yeah, it all comes, yeah. 
it's going to happen. It's on the rise. And, you know, the next couple of years is going to be really exciting. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's another good pick there, Sam. And, and I, I not to mention, uh, don't forget the coach of that was Pat Summit. So anytime you get a win over Pat Summit, it's nothing to slash at. One of the legends in coaching, not just in women's basketball, but in any sport. So, yeah, you're, you're certainly right there, Sam. So, um, but I guess that sends it back to me here to, to round out our, uh, our picks here. This will be my last pick. Uh, I'm, I'm sticking with football on this one. Um, this is I, – I, so my last pick, I went with Keith Wenning um, on this one here. Uh, I'm going to go the, with the guy that shared the backfield with him that Keith Wenning was handing the ball off to. I'm going with Jawan Edwards. Uh, just one of the great running backs in Mac history, if you ask me. Um, ended his career with 4,558 rushing yards, all-time leader at Ball State. Uh, set the Ball State touchdowns record and career total touchdowns record as a junior uh, and, and finished his career with 51 rushing touchdowns, uh, which is still stands as a Ball State record. Uh, he also holds the Ball State record for most career points with 306 most career t- rushing attempts with 884 and his second in school history with uh, 18 100 yard games. Uh, he's only the sixth ball state player uh, in history to rush for 3000 or more yards in his career. And only the second player in school history to rush for 4000 more yards in his career. Uh, only other person that did that was Marcus Merriweather back in the early two thousands uh, started 42 games, his career and uh, finished his career uh, ranked fifth in Mac history in rushing yards, fifth in rushing touchdowns, and sixth in rushing attempts. He was another reason why that 2013 team was so much fun to watch. Really enjoyed watching him. Uh, got he got uh, was able to get a camp invite with the Chargers there. Hung around on the practice squad, a couple different practice squads in the NFL. Never really. Uh, got a chance to show what he could do in the league, but still just for those accolades of what he did during his time on campus, I, I felt the need to include him. He was so much fun to watch. I really, really liked Jawan Edwards when he was wearing uh, the red and white for Ball State. Yeah, he was a lot, really fun to watch as, you know, I got to see him play for a year and he was a guy who ran better going North South. I mean, you give him a, you know, a hole between the A and B gap or wherever he was going to hit it. He hit it hard. Uh, he was extremely fun to watch. He was a, you know, you think about that 13 team, obviously Keith gets all the love. Willie gets a lot of the love. But you look offensively, Juwan carried that offense a, yeah. a lot. Of, because, you know, in the MAC, yes, our quarterbacks can throw, but we are running backs. We have a lot of pounding ground, you know, style running backs. And so that's what Juwan did. And obviously you can mention you got a camp invite with the Chargers. He spent some time in Cleveland uh, and a couple other places. Uh, but yeah, he was one of those guys who uh, he he hit the hole and he, when he hit it, he hit it hard. And uh, he, had, uh, I think it was on his Instagram a couple days ago. He he owns a training center in the Carolinas, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, indoor turf field and just kind of getting guys ready. You know, training high school, college, NFL guys. That's kind of what he's doing now. So he's taking some of those talents and those traits that he learned at Ball State and in the NFL, implementing them into a different uh, field now. And, and getting guys ready for whatever event they're getting ready for. Yeah. And, and the, the, the thing that I loved about Jawan Edwards, AJ, is like you mentioned how he was so great going like north to south. Like when you look at his measurables, he's one of those guys. He was only 5'10". Not a big dude. Not bowling ball is the perfect term to describe him. I mean, for someone that's like five ten, a lot of times you think about those smaller running backs that like to get into space in the open field and make cuts and make people miss. Jawan Edwards, he wasn't interested in making people miss. He was interested in running people over, and that was part of the reason why he was so much fun to watch. 
So it took more than one guy to tackle him at a time, too. Like he, I can remember, too, his, he had tree trunk thighs. Because he, <laughs> I mean, like I say, he was 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, he went downhill. You know, and his legs were his greatest asset, essentially, because he made it hard for opponents to tackle him. Mm-hmm. And I would be curious to get into depth on his yards after contact. Because I'm sure they've got to be tremendous. They have to be. Yeah. And someone I like to think about that's comparable since I didn't get to watch him personally is uh, Caleb Huntley. Last year, he's built 5'10", 5'11", 200-something pounds, had 1,500 yards last year. Like you mentioned, they like the pounding ground. Yes, Drew Plick can throw the ball, but Caleb Huntley is the reason the offense moves, like at the end of the day. And he's the guy who kind of came out of nowhere, too. He was one of the, at the top last year of rushing the Mac. And I got to find this name here real quick. Here we go. So, at the time with John, uh, with Juwan Edwards in 2013, we had a backup running back, Horatio Banks, out of Illinois. He would have been incredible if he would have stuck around, but he transferred out because Juwan was it was his job. Yeah. But Horatio, that's, that's, I had to look it up because I got, and he was a guy who was five ten, hundred eighty four pounds. Like he did, he had more of the east west, and Juwan had the north south uh, running style. But he transferred out because you know. It was Juwan's job, essentially. Nobody was going to you know, beat him for it. But, uh, yeah, it was so fun to watch. And it's so fun going back down memory lane because it hasn't been that good in a while. So, <laughs> yeah, to- I can vouch for that. <laughs> good stuff. I think we got three solid lists here. Yeah, we uh, – uh, There's and the thing is, too, there's so many names that we didn't get to talk about. Yeah. You know? Mike New, our coach, is a Ball State alum. He's in the Ball State that I call up. He was a quarterback for us. He played in Canada. He coached Drew Brees down in New Orleans, came up here and, and, and got a uh, contract extension this year. So he's somebody we're going to talk about. Keith McKenzie, did we mention him? No, we no, didn't. He's a football player who, we, you know, there's so many people, and even outside of the major, major sports that we didn't get to, we could have done four hours on this because there are so many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oh, or golf, especially, you have a lot. Of, we have a guy who's uh, an amateur on the tour right now, uh, and we had Mike Fleck on our show a couple weeks ago. The golf coach at Ball State had a phenomenal conversation with him mm-hmm. about Ball State golf and how they got a brand new facility before the football program did. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the yes. I I forget how to pronounce this. Like the yes to yes to Meyer. Yeah, yes and Meyer. Yes and Meyer. Yeah, and uh, he was going in depth with us about that. And he goes, Yesemeyer was a coach at Ball State for 30-some years, and Fleck played for him while, when he played at Ball State back in the day. So, you know, there's so many names we could have come up. We could, do, we could do a round two, we could do a round three, and I'm sure that's with every yeah. Mac because there's so much talent embedded inside the Mac conference that people don't realize. Mm-hmm. And you, yeah. go, you could even go to just coaches that have come from the Mac and have done tremendous things. The, the Urban Myers, the uh, Nick Sabins, uh, you know, who, gosh, who, I'm, PJ I'm Fleck. Fleck, uh, yeah. Har- Harbaugh, you know, somebody, mean, you know, Woody Hayes out of Miami of Ohio. Yeah. Miami of Ohio. So, Mark you know, Sheegan, right, Miami of Ohio. Yeah, there's so many. There's a reason why Miami of Ohio is a cradle of coaches. That's it. But you look at the MAC as a whole, you know, Campbell up in Iowa State is a Toledo. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, maybe that's a segment we'll do sometime. Have me on again. We'll do MAC coaches. Love that. It, Love it. So rich in coaches. It's, it's incredible. It really is. And uh, there was another uh, – I'm sure when you guys do Bowling Green, he'll, the, the quarterback will come up. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's so rich. It's such a fun conference. And 
it's a conference that does not get the love it rightfully deserves. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We had Jerry Pugsley on our show a couple days uh, last week who played at Akron. Yeah. And we talked about that. He, I go, you play in the NFL. So what's it like coming in from, you know, a Mac school and being against guys who are power five schools. And uh, he goes, it's, it's a grind. It's tough, but it's no different because you had to grind on that team because it was harder to get a spot because yeah. there weren't as spots open. And he told me too, when you got another Mac guy on the team, you became friends with him because you guys had similar journeys and you probably played against each other for four years. So you know each other very well from the field, but you became friends with them off the field. And I think that's something too, that you don't get in any, in any other conference because it's so big. You have, you know, you know, the Big Ten guys, you know, they're, they're powerhouses. But you come down here to the guys who are scrapping and grinding on Wednesday and Thursday nights. You know, he said, look, we became best friends with the you know, guys, not only Mac schools, but smaller schools than that, the, from the Mountain West and things like that. He goes, we all, gra- we all gravitated towards each other because we all have the same journey. And that's one thing I love about this conference. That's one thing I love about being a part of it, being an alum of it, and, uh, and doing this kind of stuff because we talk about it and nobody else does. So why not? We, we'll take all the love and credit for it. I, w- I will say, AJ, the reason I didn't put Mike New as, like, the Mount Rushmore because I was considering it is because, like, I, I, I haven't liked the job he's done as a coach. But, like, I know. If, if he would have just retired a player and stayed a player, I definitely want to include him. But, you like, it, it all folds into one thing. Like, you got to include the coaching with the player. For sure. sure. For sure. And you, and you look at his, a coaching outside of Ball State. I mean, he did I – mean, the dude coached Drew Brees. Like – you have to be good to do that. And to be a quarterback coach and coach a future Hall of Famer, like, but as a coach and he got a contract extension. So, you know, and they're obviously not playing this year, so that's going to hurt. And what, you know, what the NCAA does with scholarships and eligibilities, you know, to be determined still with Drew Plett and those guys. Um, but, you know, he got, was it one or two year contract extension? I forget. Two years, I believe. Two years, yeah. And so, I don't know. Hopefully he can change, turn it around because I was very excited for him being a Ball State guy coming into the program. And I obviously hated, hated seeing uh, Limbo leave, but I totally get it. Uh, but at the end of the day, you, know, you got to win. And we've got the talent. We just got to put it all together, I think. And he's going into his fourth year now. So who knows? The only time will tell. And obviously we're going to have to wait a whole other year for it. But uh, maybe it's just a year where, you know, recruits can get in early and get training and get healthy, get right. And then, you know, he and his staff can – I mean, obviously losing Joey Lynch is huge because he was such a huge part of that offense. He's been a part of Ball State Athletics for years. I mean, ever since his dad. Yeah. And so – and knock on wood, wherever someone over here, you know, we get through this, you know, COVID stuff and we get back to matching next year. And, uh, you know, Ball State does something because I'm tired of watching games on – you know, late games on Wednesday nights and losing and going to work the next day not happy. <laughs> right. Yeah. I hear that, man. I'm a Browns fan too, so I can say the same thing about that. But I don't. <laughs> you know, I've been a Browns fan my entire life. We had season tickets when I was a little kid, and you know, I I don't know a winning season besides '04. We got a wild card, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't get too. I obviously I love it. I live and die by it, but I don't get my stock too high until yeah. like week six because I, I know how it goes. Obviously, we we're supposed to play, you know, be great last year, and then we got beat week one. So I'm like, okay, yeah. I've been this, done that. I know how this goes. I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm just hoping we can go to the actual games before we can talk about winning and whatnot. Like, like, uh, like me and Zach were talking off air. Like, the Ball State plays at Penn State next year as one of their notable non-conference. Like, I would love to go to Happy Valley. Like, I would have loved to go to Ann Arbor this year. Like, 
We yeah. sched- didn't we schedule like Ohio State or Clemson? Ohio State next Ohio. year. Or yeah. next year or twenty twenty two, I forget which one. One of those two. Okay. Yeah. Like I like I would love to go back to all this, but hopefully like we figure this shit out, honestly. Quickly, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. And I saw I believe it's is it Kansas City Chiefs who are allowing twenty two percent capacity this year? Yeah, they just announced that. They just announced yeah. that, yeah. I think it's the, the Cowboys too. Yeah, I've been kind of confused by this too because, for example, last month Bristol Motor Speedway put twenty thousand people in the stadium for the NASCAR All Star Race. Like, and now granted that place holds one hundred sixty thousand, so twenty thousand is nothing. But still, they put people in the stands, and I haven't heard anything negative result wise. So, and I yeah, think, yeah, they're just, pretty. I don't know, and but I think the Cincinnati Reds have kind of put a plan together too to get fans in the stands by the end of this year. So. Who knows? Who knows Who what's going to happen? It changes, right. it changes daily. Yeah. So, and one yeah. final thing, AJ, did you see uh, Zach Polisek here you were talking about earlier? He got like kind of got in trouble. He did. So, I have kind of funny story about this. Uh, so, he was there when I was. And so, you know, I got, I got to know him a little bit, but he's from Crown Point, Indiana, which is, in the, which is called the region. So, it's like Crown Point, Valparaiso. Merrillville, it's all right in the corner of uh, Indiana, Illinois. And so he grew up a diehard Chicago White Sox fan. So we were playing the White Sox at the time. All of his boys came into town. They all went out and partied. He and Cleverger got busted. They got sent back home, quarantined for 10 days. Then the, their, uh, the alternate training site in Lake, uh, Lake County, which is just east of Cleveland. So before we get on this interview here, before we got started, I was playing MLB The Show 20. And you could do live uh, rosters. You know, so like the Indians play Pittsburgh tonight. So it's going to have the, the roster for who's playing tonight. And so when you go and select your pitcher, you can pick whatever pitcher you want. But since Plesak and Mike Clavenger are at the alternative site, I could not pick them on the video game because the video game knew they weren't on the roster right now. How creepy is that? <laughs> like, that is crazy. Wow. Yeah. Like I wanted to, I, like, I like to throw Clevenger Plesak, you know, every once in a while. And I went to go put my roster. They weren't on there because they're not on the active roster right now in real life. So they're not real. They're not on the active roster in the video game. It's so crazy that the game updates like and knows that quickly. That's insane. Yeah. That's that's ridiculous. Yeah, and I've played too much of this during quarantine. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, so, I, mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm gonna play some NCAA 14. This kind of brings me back because like Ball State was actually good in NCAA 14. Yeah. 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 It's so Great funny, too, like, too. Looking, like, looking at the graphics of that, too, like what Schumann Stadium looks like in that game compared to what it looks like now. It's, they've done incredible work with it. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the facility, you know, the football stadium has always been beautiful down there. Uh, that, the, the arena has been great. They're putting in an audition for uh, indoor basketball courts now for a practice facility. Uh, they've got the Yesenmeyer Golf Facility now. Uh, you know, baseball stadium is a couple of years old now. They put turf in there. Did the, redid the grandstand. It looks beautiful. Same thing with softball. Uh, every time I go through campus, of course, I go every couple of months because I, I, I miss two things about Muncie. That's Concannon's Donuts because they're incredible. And two, Savage's Ale House downtown Muncie. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but they've got this grilled cheese sandwich. It's Texas toast with mozzarella sticks in the middle. It's fantastic. Whoa. Okay, but where's the Cannon Donuts at? I've never Concannon, there's two. There's one – oh, no, the, actually, the first one – one of them closed. It used to be right across the street from Muncie Central High School. Mm-hmm. And then the next – or the original one 
is up off of McGalliard. Okay. Uh, you know where BioLife is? No. No. Okay. So like you go past. God, things have changed so much. Yeah. Since I've gone there, so you go through. Okay, you know the intersection of Bethel and McGalliard. Yeah. There's a bank on the corner. Yeah. Well, if you're going, you're going west on mm-hmm. McGalliard. Uh, there's a bank on the left-hand side where you turn right and you go back. Like there's the YMCA back there, mm-hmm. and you follow that all the way back around. You run like there's a Holiday Inn back there. There's uh, the Pizza Hut back there. Uh, there's a Marco's Pizza still, I think. There's a BioLife Plasma Center, and then you keep going past that, and the road kind of veers left. Mm-hmm. It's Cook Cannons is right there. So, yeah, it's oh. it's so the best donuts, the best sweets. Like we were down there, and I had, we got donuts. We went out on a Saturday. And we got donuts for Sunday morning, but their cookies are great. Donuts are awesome. All their baked goods, everything's so good. It's it's bad. Okay, it's really bad. <laughs> I'll have to try it when because I'm going back to uh, school actually tomorrow to move in. Like okay. so. Okay, so oh, sorry, you guys are doing in class this year then? Uh, yeah, some of our classes are online. I only have like two of my six online, but I like I'm not holding out for hope that we don't go online within yeah. the next like week or so. Sure. Now, are you in a house or a dorm? Dorm this year. Which one? Uh, Stu West, if you know what that is. Oh, yeah. Was there, what are they building right in front of that? A car, uh, parking complex? Yeah, right across the street is like, it's it's almost like done, if not like it's, like close. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, every time I would go down there, even when I was there, like that roundabout behind La Follette wasn't yeah. a thing. That was all parking. Uh, every time I'm down there, though, something's changing. There's always construction so it's good to see my tuition's going to something at least <laughs> so, are you, so next so next time there's games like that you can actually go to are you going to come to one? Oh, absolutely i had football i was playing on getting football season tickets this year because you can get you know for a couple hundred dollars mm-hmm. and so i was playing on doing that this year and uh obviously we can't do that but it's funny because my fiance is from montana and she went to montana she ran track across the country at the university of montana and then transferred to montana state so she hasn't fully grasped what football in the Midwest means I've taken, I took her to Ohio state football game last year against Maryland. You know, we were up, you know, my cousins who live in Columbus from their house to the stadium is 10 minutes. So we were up at five o'clock. We left at six. We were tailgating by six fifteen. You know, my first cocktail was six thirty. you know, she's like, this is ridiculous. How do you guys do this? And I take her into a game. There's 107,000 people. And so I, but my next goal is to get her down to Muncie for a game. And uh, hopefully early on because the stadium will be packed. It usually is packed by week one or week two. Then after that, it's been kind of dwindling slowly. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'll definitely get down there for a basketball game. And one of the events I loved going to when I was a student there was men's volleyball. Yeah, We would go to men's volleyball games just about every week. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was so cool because Penn State came to town one year, and they were ranked like a top five in the country. And we beat them. So we partied on a Wednesday night for the men's volleyball, turn- or men's volleyball team who beat a top-ranked school. And like we just looked for a, we just looked for a reason to party. Yeah, and that's the, legit. In the, <laughs> that was, uh, oh god. Hey boys, yeah. I hate I hate to ju- I hate to run. I got to jump off. Okay. Um, uh, peace. Peace. Right. Dang. But uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely things have changed. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, did you did you go to any women's volleyball games? Oh yeah. Because uh, last year we actually made it to the tournament. We got beat by Nebraska, but like still, mm. we made yeah. There. Yeah, that was I remember that. But yeah, it's uh, you know all the sports, you know, those underlying sports, the volleyballs, the mm-hmm. things like that. They uh, Boston is a good job. Yeah. And you know, Muncie High School, Muncie Muncie uh, Delta 
high school. Uh, they have a phenomenal program. And so they're, this coach came from high school right to Ball State. Mm-hmm. He, I think he's retired since. Okay. Right? He's retired for the past couple of years. But, uh, yeah, he's, he did great things for that program. And so they continue to rise every year. And the one, like, thing I missed out, I was going to go to a baseball game, but, like, mm-hmm. things, like, I think they were, like, they maybe had one home game before it all got canceled. But, like, I was planning on going to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, uh, I guess that season got shut, uh, got cut pretty short, unfortunately. Okay. Well, I, I thank you again, AJ, for doing this. Yeah, not a problem. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll do it again sometime, but let's do uh, Matt Coaches. Oh, That'd we definitely fun. will. Uh, one of the um, episodes me and Zach were uh, planning on doing is like the legacy of like Frank Solich. Sure. Like sure. He's, he's been around forever and he's, uh, he's got the credentials to back it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, th- thanks for doing this again. It was, it was, yeah. it was like actually a fun conversation. Cause like, it's like my own like school. <laughs> sure. And you know, it's funny because you know, I've experienced things that you didn't get to, mm-hmm. but then you're going to experience things that I didn't get to. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of all of our stories, mesh in the middle yeah. but uh yeah I'm, I'm proud to be a ball state alum i'm i'm you know i follow it regularly i follow everything regularly mm-hmm. and uh you know it's it's, it's near and dear to my heart and I, I love it and i appreciate you guys having me on and, and you know like you guys and my my podcast as well mm-hmm. we talk about the mac anything anything everything mac and mm-hmm. you know it, it's, it's never a dull conversation we'll put it that way and before i let you go where where can the people find you at yeah college sports our podcast is the college sports connection podcast so it's my, by myself and my uh, co-host, Alex Shear. Uh, he's, uh, my Twitter handle is at Roving55. Uh, his is at SheerDumbLuck on Twitter. And then our podcast is this College Connection Pod. Okay. I can think. Let me double check here. Yep. And so, yeah, just follow us on there. We're on iTunes, Spotify, everything. Uh, we're doing a thing called the Year of Match. And so we're going to get a guest from every Mac school on. We've So far, we've covered uh, Toledo, Ball State, Akron, um, Northern Illinois, Mm-hmm. And then we've got a few feelers out there for other uh, schools. So we'll be getting those done soon. We've had uh, uh, the commissioner of the MAC basketball program, MAC championship, the commissioner, uh, Rick, uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember his last name, but we had him on early on. Uh, Chris Wormley, who played at Michigan, actually, is a friend of mine. Uh, he plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers now. We had him on. Uh, so yeah, we're just kind of getting guests on and just kind of, you know, just shooting the shit, talking sports. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have Mike Fleck for the Ball State one? Yep, we did. Okay. I'll have, have to go, time. I'll have to go listen back to that because the latest episode I listened to was the one with Akron, the yeah. Jared. Yeah, Jared was a great conversation because he went to high school with my co-host mm-hmm. and so we were able to make that happen. Uh, he's a teacher in Kansas City now, but yeah, Ball State coach, uh, golf coach Fleck was just so much fun mm-hmm. and we had a great conversation with him about the golf program because you know as again it's one of those programs that doesn't get a lot of love yeah. as it should and <laughs> so but hey we're uh, we're trying to do what we can to get those some recognition for those programs mm-hmm. and uh you know we'll go from there yeah okay well that's that is aj ruffing from the college sports connection podcast as he mentioned you can check him out there i think yep. that's going to wrap it up for this uh segment uh i hope you guys enjoyed again let us know who was in your Mount Rushmore for Ball State? I think this. I think we covered like a lot of like the like notable names that deserve sure. to be on the list. But yeah, and yeah, that's gonna wrap it up for episode seven of the Mid American Bandwagon Podcast. Uh, for me, uh, Sam Thelman, Zach, do you have any final closing thoughts on this episode? 
No, I don't think so. It was great talking with AJ and, and uh, learning a little bit more about the history of, you know, some of the greats at Ball State and, you know, let us know what you think about the Ball State Mount Rushmore's that we came up with here. We think we came up with three strong lists, but we always get to love to, you know, hear disagreements and other suggestions of people that we might have failed to consider. Uh, looking forward to seeing what the, the, the semifinal matchups look like here this week in the, in the, uh, in the back match. Mac mascot bracket challenge. Really excited to see how our fan bases turn out here and, and support their mascots. It's going to be a fun week, an interesting week in the Twitter poll. And as you said, shout out to AJ Ruffing for the College Sports Connection podcast for joining us. We will most likely be doing stuff with them in the future collaboration-wise, so be on the lookout for that. I'm really excited to do with them. We had an excellent conversation with AJ. I thought I think our Ball State Mount Rushmore went really well. We went with more of a personal connection because me being a Ball State guy and AJ being a Ball State guy, we had we like had a little bit more personal connection than uh, the other ones we did. But yeah, I think that's gonna wrap up for this episode. As I said, follow us at Mac underscore Bandwagon. We are trying to uh, increase the Twitter following to as many people as we can to fit on the bandwagon. The bandwagon can fit as many people as we want to. <laughs> but unlimited room. Unlimited room on the unlimited bandwagon. Unlimited room. Kind of like the Bills Mafia. We're, <laughs> we're you welcoming you. That's and right. Yeah. There you go. And, yeah, that's going to wrap it up. Let us know what polls, brackets, whatever you want to see. Message us. I'm, I'm always open to DMs, always open to messages. So let us know with your suggestions. And, yeah, have a great rest of your week. We will talk to you guys next Friday.